Hey, I'm Ben. Hey, I'm Tom. And this is, uh, you got an intro sentence? <laughs> this is Sunglasses at Night, the podcast where we look back through our metaphorical Ray-Bans at a year in musical history through the Australian Recording Industry Association charts, also known as the Arias, and ask what the shit was going on. That, that's good because usually um, we've had a few complaints about low energy at the start of the show, <laughs> um, mostly from you, Tom, mm. complaining about my low energy. And so we thought we we're going to go with a bit of a sort of snappy sentence in there, the problem, high energy. The problem with the sentence is that Australian Recording Industry Association is a horrible yeah. uh, phrase to say, yeah. which is why it's shortened to the Arias. But if you're not in Australia and probably older than 25, you probably don't know what the Arias are. No. So exactly. it doesn't mean anything really. It means nothing to anyone, mm. exactly. So, sure. you know, you kind of, you, you, you lose either way. Yeah. Especially if you're listening to the Arias a lot. So this week is 1994. <laughs> yes. 1994. Um, the the six year... Six years since the Bicentennial. That's how I measure time Absolutely. Um... Something, have you got any facts about the year? Or uh, sure, <laughs> what we... happened in 1904? Okay, um, 1994. So, somehow, unbelievably, South Africa held their first interracial election. Oh, Mandela was elected president. Uh, 50 million South Africans and slightly more hacky sack playing uni students rejoiced, and rightly so. I mean, you know... Yeah. Uh, what else happened that year? Um, Lillehammer, 94 time. Uh, yep. One of, one of my favourite Winter Olympics. Yeah. Look, it's good to see that South Africa are willing to overlook um, Mandela's criminal past <laughs> and, and let him into politics. That's so, true. That's true. Yeah. It just goes to show, you know, uh, reformed criminals can go on to... You know, do, do anything with himself. Exactly. So just because you've been convicted of dealing speed at a nightclub <laughs> and you're you know, currently behind bars for you know eight to ten years doesn't mean you can't be Prime Minister of Australia mm. one day. I think that's sort of... Um, Mandela really should have known better than to deal speed at a nightclub. He know? should have known His better. His friends warned him not to, but uh, yeah. He should have known better than to cheat a friend as well, Tom. <laughs> um, guilty feet do that's, not have any rhythm. That's true. According to George that's Michael. That's right. You should have known better to guest appear on Degrassi Junior High as the bad kid as well. I think that was... <laughs> that you know, is very, very You went true. wrong there too. I mean, let's face it, there were no good outcomes on that show. Oh, look, there, there was someone would, you know, you'd if you... The thing about Degrassi Junior High is, and if you're under the age of 40, you'll have no idea what we're talking <laughs> about, but it's, a, what, Canada's best show? Uh, One of Canada's finest shows. If you like melodrama, yes. Sure. Love melodrama, so it's a good show. The thing about Degrassi Junior High is that um, if you had sex one time mm. and you're a chick, you would get pregnant and AIDS probably. Like, there was no, there was no reality. If mm. you drank alcohol once, you'd probably die in a car yep. crash if or be an alcoholic. A room where someone was smoking a joint, you would have a bad trip and jump out of a 16th story window to your death. Exactly. Or not even your death. Death would be too kind. No. What you would probably happen was you'd get brain damage and be permanently rendered mentally incapacitated yep. for the rest of your life. For sure. Are they, have, a they done a, have they done a Degrassi, the new class, 2021? Is that... I know that they've done, redone Saved by the Bell and, <laughs> and fucking the Karate Kid and whatever the shit that thing is on Netflix that everyone watches, but... 
Have they redone Degrassi Junior? I guarantee now? that they have. I'm not. I'm not going to bother looking at the internet, but I'm going to say that they definitely have, and I'm going to say that another reboot is in the works. Absolutely. Uh, following on, what else happened in '94? Oh, um, in slightly less interesting, musically prominent news, <laughs> Kurt Cobain. Killed himself. Oh, uh, really? Which, wow. Yeah, that was 94. Seems like a long way to go to prove that the lyric, I hate myself and want to die, wasn't just him being all emo. But, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Nordberg from the Naked Gun series, a.k.a. O.J. Simpson, took a different tack and killed two other people instead of himself. <laughs> Allegedly, Tom, but, has um, that ever been proved yes. in a court of law? I don't really know. Does the glove fit, Tom? It does not. So Well, we I can conclusively prove that Nordberg was played by O.J. Simpson. Okay. So that part is, that's that. not allegedly. Absolutely. Look, that's good. Great news. Good Good to start off. <laughs> Have you got anything else? Was that all? Oh, I was going to ask for a formative memory, if you can remember anything from 94. <laughs> You would have been what? Oh, Lillehammer Tom, Four, I remember. <laughs> 14. <laughs> Four, uh, what, what was happening in 1994? Ooh, um, that's a very good question. Hey, look, I'm, that was out of the blue. My dad Probably took me to see Pulp Fiction. That was what the best Pulp thing I fiction, could remember. Yeah. That was 94 as well. I was going to say, I probably went to the cinema to watch Wayne's World, but that may have been before this. So that, that would have been 93 or 92. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, this would, maybe, I think this would be more your Wayne's World 2 era. <laughs> probably. Good film. Absolutely, Don't knock it. absolutely. So, Some would say it's a superior film, even. But yeah, yeah look, um, that's probably going a bit far. But um, <laughs> Pulp Fiction that was a that was a big hit. Mid, it was a midnight showing, double bill. Pulp Fiction, True Romance. Pulp Fiction first. Wow, nice. I was so I was not eighteen, so yep. it's R eighteen, which means you can't you're not allowed to go unless you show ID. My dad took me, yeah. bought the ticket for me yeah. because he'd seen it and was a big fan, but he would not let me see True Romance afterwards, which he did not consider to be. So Pulp Fiction was like uh, sorry quality wise or yes too... that that was the thing he would he would look past the the violence yep. if he thought it was up to quality you know it was a discerning true <laughs> yep. romance he thought was all violence no quality he wouldn't let me see that and even there with Pulp Fiction going in he said Tom you should you should be careful because it is quite violent and I said that's that's good Dad have you I'm, seen I'm Reservoir Dogs and he was like that, it also that? it also contains a there's a male a male rape scene which is that's a bit iffy. <laughs> okay. All right. Wasn't expecting that. It's a good film, sure. though, nevertheless. Uh, was that your first Tarantino experience or had you seen... You hadn't seen yes. No, it was. It was. And it was dogs absolutely. Stage. Midnight Movie is the best way to watch some films. Yeah. Oh, absolutely right. Especially on the on the big screen. I saw Mandy recently on the big screen in Midnight Movie, oh, movie nice. showing. That was amazing. Yeah. I, I mentioned that to a couple of other people and they were like, oh, what should it Watched it at home. wasn't that good. I was like, yeah. you got to get to the not, cinema. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to have the same magic. Is it? Exactly. How many movie marathons did you go to at Launceston's <laughs> Village See, I missed all of that. I missed all that. I only heard secondhand reports about these things. Yep. Look, Village 4, Launceston's <laughs> movie marathon. You'd start... Here's, here's the secret, Tom. The first film's good. The second one is pretty shit. The third one is real bad, and then the fourth <laughs> one they sort of try and get you to stay by bringing something back. I, so. I admired their money making expertise of thinking, all right, cinemas normally shut overnight. Yep. We're not making any money, and also no adults are going to stay up till 5 a.m. watching movies. Exactly. But what if we got a bunch of teenagers in here, didn't open their backpacks to see how much drugs and alcohol they were carrying we yep. could get four screenings I reckon oh, if we just right. packed this thing with 17 year olds 
Yeah, for sure. ID we definitely checked on the way in. Yeah, and I think they just told that you'd go and buy a popcorn between each film. <laughs> um, if you, and if you bought, if you went and sort of four films, popcorn between each film, um, you're going to drop two, three thousand dollars, I think. <laughs> so I think that's sort of what Village that's Four right. was sort of thinking that's of. Right. So. Look, should we move on to the music? Yes, please. So, Sorry. No, 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 no. I don't want to rush you. I just sort of thought that the no, listener... That was an experiment in setting setting things in place and time. So Absolutely time right. We, we sort of, you know, rather than people just going, what the fuck are they talking about? It's like, <laughs> oh, that's the year that uh, the Lillehammer Olympics happened. That's and the that Pulp Fiction came went out. to see Pulp Fiction. Kurt Cobain yeah. died, etc., etc. So, for sure. And... Kurt Cobain's death may explain the the songs on this list because I guess grunge officially died that day and we're left with um, the other songs that are left in here. I don't know why Kurt Cobain would have wanted to kill himself if he'd seen what was starting off the year on the ARIA charts in Australia. Absolutely. So, um, 1 January, Tom... Brian Adams, please forgive me. We talked about this last two week. More two weeks. more, two yeah. more songs. Frankly, he's still not forgiven. No, he's, uh, he, he may never be forgiven. That sucked. To this song is shitty. It sucked last week. It still sucks now. Um, what well, the less said, the better. The I think. So look. let's move into the year proper. This Absolutely. is a much better introduction to '94. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, mm. boom, um, with an exclamation mark, shake the room. <laughs> now I was a big fan. Oh, look, I think boom, boom, shake the room, tick, 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 boom. <laughs> Great lyrics, but oh, look. I, I don't want to start this. I know that you like this song and I, I don't really want to get off. <laughs> I'm saying I liked this song when I was 16. Oh, That's what I'm yeah, saying. Of course, and I don't want to st- get you know off to a sort of negative start for the podcast, but I think these lyrics, Tom, boom, shake the room, tick, 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 boom. We need to draw attention to the fact that, look, I know that people these days... 2021 and in the last few years they're radicalized in a lot of different ways slick isis videos on youtube or facebook groups um and you know look we look at the past and you sort of see things like the satanic panic you know does judas priest encourage suicide Mm -hmm. or we were listening to metallica lead people to to kill others so i don't think it's a bridge too far to suggest that back here in 1994 that you know boom shake 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 the room tick 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 boom could that have influenced or even radicalised Timothy McVeigh to blow up the Oklahoma State Building in 1995? What do you think? I mean... I think this the only logical answer. This song really. comes out, 1994. A few months later, Timothy McVeigh, mm. he may have... I, I think before this song came out, he was just at home, he was watching, you know, 90210, Melrose Place, those sorts of shows, maybe The Heights, Fresh How Do You Talk to an Angel, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air... Loves all that stuff, and then he hears this song, and he's like, tick, 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 boom. Maybe, just maybe, that you know is something that I haven't thought about before. I'm going to go and drive a vehicle into a state building, blow it up, kill 168 people. Mm. Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff, do they have blood on their hands? I mean, it's the only logical conclusion, Drew. I think this was part of their manifesto, and I think that's what it's... <laughs> By the Unabomber so. as well to write his manifesto. For sure, for sure. And I, I think that sort of people, they like to see these guys as fun-loving, but <laughs> they really, they're as bad as ISIS, I think, in many ways. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, is, I don't think that's a when, step too when far. When you think about it, yes. When you think about what they've done, they've written this song... <laughs> Timothy McVeigh's heard this song, 168 yep. people. I mean, we know that now. We've talked about that. We know that this song is written and released... He hears it, he goes and blows up a building, 168 people die. Mm. I don't know, Tom, I don't know whether... 
I just think that that should have been brought to our attention. But great song, nevertheless. Sure. I, lo- I really like this one. I mean, do you think that he he made up for you know killing all those people with his other work with Jazzy Jeff? Oh, I don't think so. I think that um, look, Will Smith personally um, has he been in some good films? Sure, but as a rapper. He's terrible. All of these songs shit. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, all of their material is pretty bad. In this song, Will Smith actually raps, um, tell my mother that I never wrote a whack jam. Now, nobody can go to Will Smith's mum and say, your son never, quote, wrote a whack jam, end quote. All of his rhymes are whack. All of his song, all of his, sorry, jams, quote, end quote, are whack. All of them. This is whack. Um, parents just don't understand is whack. Summertime. I think I can beat Mike Tyson. Oh, all that shit sucks. It's terrible. <laughs> it's all awful. How and then, dare you? You really? know very well that we're currently living in the Willennium bin. Sorry, we I are. Mean, you know, look this at the is calendar. That's what I'm saying. True. As of what the first of January two thousand and one. <sighs> I'm not going to call out that old millennium bullshit. I know the millennium started in 2001. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But you're correct. We are living in the millennium. Mm-hmm. And I probably shouldn't have said those things because there is a fair chance that Will Smith will be our, our president one day mm. in the world environment once the Australia and all the countries become... You know, you know, the new world order. The next that, time that you try to sign about. an official document and when you get to the date stamp, you just have a look at that little number in the right-hand corner Yeah, and consider, you know, is that a whack date or is it a... Uh, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> it's sort of... Do you, did Will get better once him and DJ Jazzy Jeff went their separate ways? Yeah, that is a bit interesting, isn't it? Because um, you've already referenced Will 2K, which is, I think, is that the song where he talks about uh, the Willennium? <laughs> I think it is. Yes. Which is just terrible. Uh, Wild Wild West, mm, that's no good. Yes, that Getting was... jiggy with it. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it depends, you know, what you're after, you know? Like, yeah. DJ, I mean, he... He was always kind of treading the line, even from a young age. Like, he just seemed to, you know... He got up to this album, Code Red. Yep. Uh, where he was clearly trying to come off a bit tougher. You know, he was trying to seem like a bit... No doubt. Know. But but even then, like... By, well, he wrote a song that effectively killed 168 people, so that's very tough. <laughs> that is true. That's yep. quite gangster, mm. sure. But, um, yeah, like... I think what's interesting about this is that I think a lot of people our age and under just remember Will Smith as being a sort of a perpetual star. Yeah. But there was a bit of a career lull between like the initial success of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and him becoming a big movie star. For instance, this I found this weird. Guess when The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air finished? Like, oh. what do you reckon the last, the last year of the TV show was? Um, was it about now? 1994 that we're doing this was it was it on for like well, five years or I remembered or no? it being earlier than that I remember okay. it being like 92 but it was 96 okay. there were 148 wow. apps from 1990 to 96 which was about four years longer than I remember going I mm, have okay. no idea who the fuck was watching that shit in 96 no but the crazy thing is to me is that Bad Boys was 95 and Independence Day was 96 wow so during the week he's playing like pimp and sex machine cops having shirtless shootouts you know, with Martin Lawrence and cigar chomping bad boy fighter pilots welcoming people to Earth. 
And then he's going off on the weekend to put on the lime green backwards baseball volleyball hat yeah. and baggy shorts to pretend to be a wayward yet lovable teen in the off weeks, you know. And meanwhile, his musical career similarly has gone from sort of wacky, colourful, jokey party jams about how parents don't understand, blah, blah, how Freddy Krueger's waking you up in the middle of the night to yep. freak you out, to a sort of tepid, tough guy bullshit that even he seems kind of bored of like the rest yeah. of this album, except in rare cases like this song and like something like Men in Black, where, you know, they're kind of vanilla, but he at least seems kind of energised. Yeah. Like he at least seems like he's a bit more upbeat, you know. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing at home, but that guy seems weary, Ben. Oh, he yeah. He needs some Red Bulls, I think. Have I you think watched so. his movies lately? I've not seen a Will Smith film for some time. Yeah. Um, the last one I saw, I think, featured him and his son um, and I watched it maybe on a plane and it wasn't very good best place to see it his son uh, look I don't want to say I don't want to give him too much of a hard time but I look I understand that Will Smith is sort of he's trying to build sort of a, a dynasty type situation where him you know he's a, a rapper an actor TV and film his wife uh, Jada Pinkett Smith uh, has fronted new metal band Wicked Wisdom, <laughs> so that's all I know her from. I don't know what else she's done, but she's a new has metal. Has her own acting career. Has her own, does she? I've only only know her from Wicked Wisdom, Tom, but she does that. And it's then they've got, they've got the kids have got, uh, you know, Willow with I whip my hair back and forth mm-hmm. from like whenever the fuck that came out. And the, and the son, he's sort of saying, look, I want you to, to follow in the family business of acting and singing. Mm. But the problem is he doesn't have the charisma of Will Smith. Yes. Uh, I've seen him in a few films. They're terrible. I've heard a song of his. It's pretty bad. <laughs> but they're just going to keep plowing away because he's got the family behind him. They're just going to keep yeah. riding that dude until he somehow lands <laughs> somewhere and eventually becomes a star, I guess, just because people are like, he's been doing shit for 20 years because his dad is Will Smith, I guess. It's, I don't know. It's good to see that trying to get your kid to into the family business does not just extend to, you know, plumbers. No. You know, people or who own Donald farms. Trump or yeah. <laughs> exactly. Weird nepotistic Everyone can do that. and stuff. Yeah. But, but the problem is like, that... I think, with the, I think with his son, I don't really think his son particularly wants to be a movie star. I think that's the thing. I think he, he tried to get him into it and he just... yeah. That's probably it, actually. He seems really uncharismatic in all those things, maybe just because he doesn't care. Yeah. He's probably sort of, I don't really want to do this, Dad. But when- Dad's like, well, you can make a heap of cash from just showing up and punching an alien in the face, so why don't you just do that? So, But look, interestingly, Tom, you did mention that he was mm. doing Fresh Prince of Bel-Air at the same time as some of these films, which are some like The Bad Boys and Independence Day, even to this day, are probably some of his most well-known roles I would yes. say you know obviously. once again like I was saying in both of those films he looks very energetic, energized like he's, yeah. he's impossible not to watch on oh, the screen for sure you know? for sure for he sure. was kind of a him and a few a handful of other people like Nicolas Cage were credited with the sort of the post Stallone post Schwarzenegger action movie period yeah. when people didn't want giant muscle bound machine gun toting powerhouses yeah. anymore they wanted sort of quippy younger action heroes and Will Smith sort of jumped straight into that the void, action you know, comedy like, where you're sort yeah, of like yeah wisecracks you're still shooting people you still take your shirt off but you're a younger kind of hipper sort of absolutely you know and he fitted perfectly in there but then he just seemed to get kind of tired of it and, yeah. yeah look Tom I read that um, he spent all of his cash from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air sorry no he spent all of his money from the success he made from DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince yep 
paid no tax. The IRS <laughs> came knocking and said, dude, you owe us millions of dollars in taxes. So his wages from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air were garnished for a period of time because he owed them so much money. So I think that he probably, while he was an action star, as you said, in Bad Boys mm-hmm. and Independence Day, I think he probably just kept running with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air <laughs> Because he just, just had to, to pay, pay off the tax office. Yeah. I think he just had to do that. Who are these so that's pretty gangster. I don't know Is how that... taxes work. It's like Wesley Snipes. Like, don't, do they he just have, prison for do they just have shit accountants? <laughs> or do they so. just think once that people enough people know your name that you don't have to pay taxes? Yeah, I think if you're making 10 mil a film, you can probably afford to don't pay the taxes. you know that you this are. only applies to white-collar hedge fund managers? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly if right. you're merely actually making people happy, you still have to pay taxes. No doubt, you know? no doubt. And that's where he fell down, I think. So, look, um, I just want to pull this out before we move on. Sure. I, I know you've probably got a bit more to talk no, about, no. but... Um, we talked about was it? I think it was probably last week or the week before with um, Salt and Pepper DJ name Spinderella. Oh, yes. Yep, one of the very best. <laughs> Good one. Is DJ Jazzy Jeff one of the worst? <laughs> it's not great, is it? No. Like weirdly, in Fresh Prince, he appeared in that, but his character was called Ice Tray, which is a much better it's name than DJ way Jazzy better. Jeff. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, is his name actually Jeff? <laughs> Uh, I hope so. I don't know, but he still tours under that name. Like, he was still touring not that long ago. So, yeah. I mean, like, this was, like, the toughest the pair ever got. There's no joke songs here about fighting Mike Tyson or parents failing to understand. Yeah. Like, but it's still Will Smith we're talking about. So he's acutely aware of his own image and he's still using the word booty instead of, you know, ass and occasionally saying bitch. That's about as gangster as he gets. Yeah. Like, the video looks like discount public enemy. Everyone's dressed like the bomb squad and standing on tanks and shit. But there's still cartoons everywhere and the background, like, kind of undermines it all. Like, even on the cover of the album, it looks like they'd both rather be somewhere else. (laughs) So, appropriately, this was the last single released from the pair. After this, Will Smith did everything under his own name. Yeah. And yeah, but then again, that did include Wild Wild West. So maybe Jazzy Jeff dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> he might have. And by bullet, I mean a racist paraplegic amputee <laughs> driving a giant spider tank. Uh, yeah, but either way, that was the end of the pair of them as a musical force. Yeah, it looks you know? sad or not sad, I don't really know. But I think um, you're right that DJ Jazzy Jeff has probably come out the best of the pair in terms of from a musical <laughs> point of view because I think uh, I'm just going to say it now every song that Will Smith has ever recorded the solo artist is awful <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there now um, but look I think I was reading some reviews sort of flipping through what people thought of this because as a kid I, I, I think like you Tom I quite enjoyed this but I was also probably mm. Not that old, but um, Larry Flick from Billboard, he described it as a butt-shagging pop-hip-hop romp. So, <laughs> is, is it about must, anal sex? <laughs> like, butt-shagging? I, mean, I suppose it could be. Could be, I don't know. <laughs> Yo, are you ready for me yet? Pump it up, Prince. I'm not really sure. But, look, it's... Uh, this... I actually think, all jokes aside, you know, apart from the, the deaths from the Oklahoma City <laughs> bombing... I think this is all right. I think I think yeah. I'd probably if I had to listen still kind of if so, at, at gunpoint if someone held a gun to my head and said you need to put on a DJ Jazzy Jeff for the Fresh Prince song 
this mm. would probably be the one that I chose yeah, at gunpoint. Take this over, parents just don't understand. Surely. Yeah, so exactly, anyway. exactly. Are there any lyrical highlights oh, for this? Look, you've already the whole covered song a few must be. Well, I, I mean, just said, "Are you ready for me yet?" Pump it up, Prince. That I can't mean, be the lyrical. Speaking of Jazzy Jeff, you know, like it'd be easy to look at this and think, "Well, look, Will Smith, you know, he was the powerhouse. He went on to be, the, you know, have the giant Hollywood, yep. you know, nine figure salary career, but." On the other hand, Jazzy Jeff can still go down to the shops and get mm. milk without anyone really knowing who he is. That is true. Just to pick a lyric out of this song, which may have had a sort of Freudian accidental truism to it, I think, even at this stage, which is 1994, so this is, you know, a good 10, 20 years before Will Smith's full popularity, but uh, mercy, mercy, mercy me, my life is a cage, but on stage I'm free. Uh-huh. Mm, I think, you know, maybe maybe Will's trying to send out a message that already fame has come at a terrible cost of yeah, yep. not being able to go to the shops like DJ Jazzy Jeff can. Absolutely right. Look, um, is, is Will Smith the best actor slash rapper <laughs> of all time? I mean, I know that I've shat on his rap career, so probably not. I mean, he's definitely he's, a better actor than rapper, which is more than I would say for most of the rest. Oh, of definitely, them. definitely. I mean, I think for me, my favourite is probably DMX. <laughs> um, love his music, and I love Exit Wounds with him and Steven Seagal. Mm, so that's I'm more of, of a, a cradle number cradle, two. Cradle to the grave. <laughs> <laughs> because there, there was a period of time where DMX... Um, he died recently. He DMX. did, which is sad, but there was a period of time R-O-P where... DMX. Yeah, definitely. And look, I think as a rapper... Um, he, because Will Smith definitely as an actor was better than, better than, better actor than rapper, which, mm. because the rapping bar is so low with Will Smith, DMX a lot better rapper than actor, I think, but I think his work with Cigar still holds up. Agreed? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, the bar was lower in 94 as well. Oh, no doubt. Said. No doubt. Look, um, some stats, Spotify, 2 million for yep. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Uh, Will Smith himself gets 8 million. For his solo work on yep. Spotify, that's insane. People are loving the Wild Wild West, obviously, yep. and as you said, um, Willennium. Yeah. And then DJ Jazzy Jeff solo, 177,000. <laughs> so a lot less than Will. That's crazy. You can mm. buy this for Discogs, uh, off Discogs, sorry, for 18 cents. <laughs> sure. Good I deal. Think I had this on CD. Yeah, I, I had the single of this time, I won't lie, um, and probably cranked it a lot. Can't remember what the B side was, probably just an instrumental of this. this that's what Almost they used to do in the day. You'd right. pay $6 for a, a single that had this song on one side, <laughs> the instrumental on the other, and went, that's good value. That's, in, that's, in, that's like $400 in today's money. That's insane. Um, one week for that. Sure. We're still in January. Yeah, All right, Jen. what have we got next? Up next, we've got Brian Adams. Rod Stewart and Sting, fucking hell, all for love. Mm. Now, Tom, is this the male version of Lady Marmalade (laughs) in terms of an all-star crew? For I'm sure most people know Lady Marmalade um, Mm. from what the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. (laughs) Christina Aguilera, top of her game. You may know her from Genie in a Bottle. Maya. You may know from whatever the fuck it is that she does. People know her. Discount retail. Uh, Pink. Pink's still kicking. She does stuff. Um, Little Kim from uh, Junior Mafia. um, Hanging out with the Notorious B.I.G. back in the day. So you've got that posse who were, I think, when people talk Lady Marmalade, they think that is the creme de la creme of talent at the time getting together to do a song 
uh, for a soundtrack being Moulin Rouge, mm-hmm. is Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting to do a song for a film being The Three Musketeers? Is that the male <laughs> equivalent of Lady Marmalade? Is that as is this as good as it gets for three dudes getting together? I mean, you know, look. I know who I'd rather see in their underpants, and it's not Christina Aguilera. No, it's, it's Brian Rod and Sting. It's I a bunch of almost identical-looking white men. Yeah. Yeah. Now we know we've talked about this before. Brian Adams does a lot of movie stuff. Yes. To, uh, to, to the point that it's it's almost insane the amount of songs yeah. that he has that are uh, hits that are in this films. Sidebar: Like nobody gives a shit about this, but three episodes ago when we were talking about the song he did for Prince of Thieves. Yeah. I, Robin I, yeah. I yes, I had somehow conflated this with that, and I was I remember I was trying to remember because <laughs> I I was like I swear he did a song with Eric Clapton and another guy mm. and where they're sitting by a river's edge all looking pensively into the distance and stuff, but it wasn't. It was this. It was yep. just that they came out at a similar time, and I was smoking a lot of weed at that point. Yeah, well, look, it's fair enough, Tom. We can often mix these films it's, up. They're yeah. also similarly piss weak songs. Oh, this shit. This sucks. This similarly sucks. piss weak movies. This, this one's worse, I think, probably. But look, Three Musketeers. Now, I did a bit of research. Mm. They've, they've made 35 Three Musketeers films. I was going to say, years. Uh, at least one has come out since this. Yeah. yeah. Is that 34 too many, Tom? Is that <laughs> sort of, is one enough? Do we need to, do we really need to explore mm. the Three Musketeers in so much detail where people say every three years we need to revisit their story? They're like the French Robin Hood or something, you know? Oh. People just keep on churning them out. Yeah, they yeah. do. Yeah. There's probably about 50 Robin Hood films that just keep coming out. Uh, all you need to know about this specific one mm-hmm. is that Charlie Sheen was one of the three musketeers. Yes. I think his brother was one of them too. Was he? Emilio was Estevez? Or? Yeah, yeah. Definitely Kiefer Sutherland was in there That's good. at some point. That's good. I was 16 when I saw this and very stoned. My yep. main memory is that, one, I got so emotionally involved that I almost cried in front of a group of people who weren't <laughs> stoned at all. And two, that Rebecca de Mornay plays a blonde seductress with a heart of gold and some pretty good other parts as well. Yeah. That's, that's my two only lasting memories. Of Look, this. was Rebecca de Mornay, uh, she... Was she sexy as hell back in the day, or was she a bit creepy because of the hand that rocks the cradle? A little bit of both. Kill you. That's yep. why she was in that film. Yes, it, absolutely. Yeah. Look, yeah, I think that um, she did a great job in this. Um, I have not seen it since probably 1995. <laughs> no, neither have I. Who when I, I can't even recall whether I wanted. I'm to I'm sure see it holds it. up incredibly well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what? So, moving away from the film and moving into the song itself. Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, they're their real name. Sting. Is Sting one of the fucking stupidest nom de plumes you ever heard? Is oh my it? God, yeah. I mean, so the police have some great songs. I'm not going to deny that. Mm. You know, I think if you if you listen to the police's back catalogue, I wouldn't recommend anyone does that from front to back. But you go get like a, a greatest hits or something and you listen to that, there's some pretty good songs in there. I, I you know, I respect them, but Sting, that's a fucking stupid name. And he is like a sort of Bob Geldof style charity weirdo. Is that right? <laughs> sort of, I'm sure he's trying to support some bullshit that no one cares yeah, about. Yeah, he was very in. He was very big in the sort of new age movement of the yep. early '90s. Like you know, he Absolutely. was what we would have called a sensitive new age guy. He was into tantric sex and yep. world music and crystals and well, tantric know. sex. Um, that that 
sort of, I guess, brings me to my next point, Tom. When you, you look at the lyrics to this song, um, when it's love you make, I'll be the fire in your night. When it's love you take, I will defend, I will fight. I'll be there when you need me, when honor's at stake. This vow I will make. Yeah! Mm-hmm. Now, that's that. those are the lyrics. Now, there's three dudes singing a love song to each other. And there's clearly a lack of female pronouns in the lyrics, mm-hmm. which leads me to believe that this is a song about Brian, Rod and Sting engaging in a three-way. Is that what you took from this as well? Oh, they definitely all fucked. I mean, let's be real here. These guys exist in a world where normal heterosexual boning with an endless supply of 18-year-olds has long since stopped being interesting. Yep. They're so sexually dissipated, the only way they can get interested in anymore is by pushing the envelope. And what better way to do that than by having a threesome with another pair of dissipated, overplayed, superannuated white guys? Absolutely. You know, like... You know, who else? Who Who is the only other person that could understand the level of sexual disinterest that you have in yeah. boring, vanilla, heterosexual sex than no someone else who's been through the same thing, you know? In Rod Stewart's case, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. <laughs> definitely. You know? and, and I think that's right because it's definitely... When you've got three guys in a room, they're singing... This is a love song, Tom. They're singing mm. it to each other. There's it's actually not no a power way. ballad. No, no. There's there's no way this isn't a song about them fucking each other. Yeah. And I think that's great that they're sort of they're, they're doing this song because, you know, people sort of forget that nowadays, you know, rock stars coming out as gay, it's it's completely fine. But back <laughs> in those days, it could be a bit of a career killer. Oh, I think, as we learned with George Michael, he kept his sort of sexuality secret for some mm-hmm. time. Uh, Elton John as well. We talked about that in the past. So the fact that these guys are so willing to put it out there on the front line saying this is just a song about us banging each other, you know, I really respect that. But I think, Tom, the question I have is what the order of events, I guess, do you think that these guys got together, Mm -hmm. had the threesome, and (laughs) then, you know, in the afterglow of, of, of that threesome sort of, you know, the lyrics just sort of poured, you know, I can, I can sort of, I can visualize Sting is lying there in the bed smoking a cigar. Rod Stewart's got a, a glass of whiskey. Brian Adams is just, you know, a bit of a smile on his face. And then one of them, Brian just starts saying, when it's love you make. And then Rod just sort of goes, I'll be the fire. And they just sort of finish mm. each other's sentences. Seems plausible. The song comes out from that so it's it's sort of they're, they're really they're, they're almost vessels at this time Tom they're not even writing the song it's sort of I guess the sex is writing the song and it's just coming out of them it's coming out of their being and the song is written in the afterglow of them banging or did they go into the studio mm. having written the song mm. recorded it but then in the studio itself there was so much sort of sexual tension and then singing the song that then they just ended up banging after the song was recorded. What? How do you see it playing out? Well, it's sort of 70s and Vaseline lens just the first part. Is. Yep. I, think, I think maybe it's the second option because I misremembered this video. Again, as I said, I thought it was three people standing by a river staring yep. meaningfully into it, but it's not. It's actually five and a half extremely long minutes long. Yep. And the first minute or two is just three extremely rich white guys having a casual catch-up in a big shed somewhere. They're all, like, clearly old friends patting each other on the back. 
Rob's keeping the mullet dream alive, but they're all too boring to stand out. They could be three of the same people, but that's exactly where the tension comes from, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. And I think clearly that getting together on a song that's not a power ballad, but just some kind of lame-ass sort of <laughs> shit that replaced power ballads, clearly the spark was there. It doesn't come off on the screen, doesn't come off in the music, yeah. but obviously there was a very real attraction between these three very similar white guys. Yeah. yeah. So you think the song was sort of written by each, everyone was in their own home and they just sort of said, write some lyrics. They wrote them mm. down. They got together. They're, they're happy to meet. They go into the studio, record yes. what they've done. And then it's sort of like, this is, we've, yes. we've put the pieces There's of the puzzle together. There's a pheromonal attraction yeah, exactly. of these three guys. The, the, the three, sum, three multi-millionaire, white, mediocre, vanilla twats. The whole the is greater room. than the sum of the parts, Tom. Mm. So each of them think they've got a great song. They put them together. It, it's almost like a sort of a nuclear reactor in the sense that you put all. You, every, it just it's destined to explode when you put yes. too much heat and energy into one sort of but thing. But rather than exploding into the music, it exploded into their midnight passion. Absolutely because right. Because it certainly doesn't come across in this song, which is boring as fucking batshit. Well, the song does suck, and I, th- I think that's the whole point, Tom, is that, as it's you appalling. said, all of the energy went into their lovemaking, mm. um, and mm. it, it left no energy for the actual it's song It's like itself. they say with actors, you know, sometimes, like, if a couple's actually fucking, then on screen... They don't come across as having There's a lot no of chemistry. Passion, yeah, yeah exactly. because the chemistry comes from the tension, you know. So the fact that in real life Sting Rod Stewart and Brian Adams were fucking means that the song yes. is terrible. And the mm. song is indeed terrible. Look, I think we've cracked the case. On I that think one, we so. have, so we should probably move for on. Sure, for it's sure, for sure. Still so. January. Absolutely. Look, um, Brian Adams has got sixteen point four mil. Oh my god! On Spotify, Rod, Stu- Rod Stewart's got ten point one, and Sting has got seven point seven five. So I don't. I mean, I'm not like you. I'm not the biggest supporter of Will Smith's personal no. rap career, but there is no way that he should have half as many listeners as Brian no. Adams. Jesus, thirty four million if you put them all together in their solo <laughs> endeavors. Eighteen cents on Discogs. That is too expensive for this. Do mm. not part with eighteen cents for this. That's terrible. Two weeks for that. Let's move on, Tom, to February. Yeah. Uh, cut and move. Give it up. <laughs> God <almighty>. Fucking <laughs> hell. Now, look, the Brian Adams song is really boring, but this is a Eurodance cover of a KC in the Sunshine oh, song band. That's a one-two punch, isn't it? Yeah, look, Tom, I know I say that the cover is always better than you the do. original. However, there is an exception to the rule, and this is probably it. Look, I, I, I think I'm going to say that in this case, the cover, this is so, so much worse than the original, and I really fucking hate the original. Oh, God. I mean, at least the original has an actual band playing the instruments. Yeah. Like, it's not great, but I, I re-listened to it, and, you know, it's like at least there's some musical competence happening. This is just a backing track, a horn sample, and some sketchy vocals. Like, oh, there's it's, nothing it's pretty else bad. happening here. Look, these guys are from Denmark. Um, that's the home of Aqua, so mm. you know mm. what we're doing mm. here. And I think that in many ways... This song's terrible, and I also think that Cut and Move paved the way for Aqua. <laughs> so if it wasn't for Cut and Move, A, we wouldn't have this song, but also we wouldn't have all those fucking awful Aqua songs that I think we're going to have to touch on at the end of the decade. I time. would take Aqua over this. At least Aqua had... At least Barbie Girl has a weird... has a kind of perspective on something. It's not complicated, but yeah. 
Yeah, look, Dr. Jones is sort of, um, it's fun loving. <laughs> this is uh, this is just terrible, I think. So oh, so this was number one in Denmark, because these mm-hmm. guys are obviously Danish, as we just mentioned 10 seconds ago, and a number one in Australia. But the rest of the world, no one gave a flying fuck about this. What yeah. does that say about us as a country? Tom? Well, I'll tell you what, this only got to 61 in the UK, which should give you some idea how much it sucks. Because no one... if there's one thing they love, it's a fucking <laughs> it's... awful dance song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is worse than Euphoria. Yeah. Like, the video looks like it was made on a CD, Sega, Sega CD program called Make My Shit House Music Video. It's just appalling. You know, I was uh, actually going to say, Tom, that watching this, it looks like a really, it looks like an, uh, a low budget sort of, um, you know, <laughs> off brand Groovers in the Heart. If you remember that yes. song, but. yeah, which was what four years before. So they had four years to improve on it. Not only have they failed this to do that, it's worse than that. Yeah, yeah, it looks worse, and it's a worse song. Yeah. So yeah. Um, look, there's a <laughs> there's a terrible rap part in this as of well. Of course, there is, is. Sort of by a guy with sunnies and an earring. Sunnies yeah. and earring. I think he's wearing a pork pie hat as yeah, well. I think it goes like a lively rhythm, like a rhythm alive, like a troublemaking working nine to five, like any turn you work, you earn. That's how the court has been adjourned. Now, Tom, I've not spent a lot of time in court, so I, I did have to defend myself once on a disorderly conduct charge back in um, the early 2000s, but that's for another podcast. We won't talk about that now. Um, I was found not guilty, so thank you uh, to the judge on that day for realizing that everything was fine. But I don't think any judge in the history of time has ever adjourned a court like that. Do you mm. think, is there anyone, have you, I, I can't imagine going into court and the judge just saying, like a lively rhythm, like a lively rhyme, a line, like a troublemaker working nine to five, like any turn you work, you earn, <laughs> and then just like courts adjourn. Like makes no, this makes mm. no sense. Mm. No sense. The lyrics are terrible. I mean, English is a second language, that's fine. But <laughs> no court in the history of the judicial system dating back hundreds of years to now has been adjourned in that fashion. No, no. I'm pretty sure that guy never passed the bar. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, Look, cut and move. They did nothing before this song, nothing after. They fit firmly into one hit wonder territory, I think, Tom. Yeah. Look, it's terrible. Is there any lyrical highlights? There aren't any. There truly aren't. Like, this is a disco song. Yeah. Let's be honest. It's an electro... Uh, not like true yeah. Eurodance version of this like if you had to vote which musical gen- genre do you reckon has the worst lyrics on average uh, I know that Eurodance has the worst rap parts it does um, I, I would maybe vote for disco I think like yeah. modern dance music sucks but doesn't try to do anything else you go in expecting nothing yeah. and you get it but from in, a lyrical point of view yes, I think dance music you expect nothing lyrically but in disco they try to fill up the space like the vast echoing soulless void of the dance floor <laughs> with just unnecessary bollocks like you know give it up baby give it up no 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 now give it up give it up baby give it up that shit sucks sure yeah. but then they try to explain it for five minutes like they're reverses to these songs where yeah. they explain the concept of giving it up yeah. how much they want to give it give it up <laughs> what giving it up will feel like you know the ramifications of giving it up politically you yeah. know etc you know looking back from the future having given it up in the past I wish I'd given it up earlier that sort of thing and it just yeah it, it takes a long time do they end. explain um, how the court has been adjourned at any time Tom <laughs> I hope they do uh, this was covered by Captain Jack oh, 
2003 <laughs> on their part on their album Party Warriors. Captain Jack's one of my favourites. I hope um, he brought the troops with him for that. Oh, one. absolutely right. I mean, I'm sure he did. Definitely, Captain Jack. Uh, I was going to say rest in peace, but I think he's still alive. <laughs> hope he is. So sure. Let's move on because yeah, that nothing shit sucks. else. This sucks. 120,000 on Spotify. That's pretty low, which is probably what, yeah, they, deserve. That's what they deserve. 77 cents. That's terrible. Uh, I don't know anyone who's paying that much for this. It's awful. Now, moving on. That was four weeks. Fucking hell. I know. That's so Next long. up for seven weeks. This yep. is this is a lot. This is almost two months. East 17, mm. it's all right. This was a big hit. This was Boom. their breakout hit. This yep. was their, what is it, Backstreet's Back for the East oh, 17. Look, and that's what I was going to say, Tom. Fuck the Backstreet Boys and fuck NSYNC. Mm-hmm. East 17 They were first. They came first. They were first. The Brits Absolutely. had the template. Yep, no doubt. Now, look, this... They sold around 20 million albums worldwide, mm. uh, which is a lot. For they were huge. Um, and look, they have a lot of hits, including this song, It's Alright, where they, I think they say... All right, all right. Everything they, I they think do. they say the, they the word all right do. about a hundred <laughs> times. Uh, and they also wore really, really big beanies, <laughs> which was great, as you see in this video. Fucking hell. You Huge can, beanies. You can forget a lot of stuff from the 90s because the fashion was either incredibly dull, like in the Brian Adams video, yep. or incredibly tacky and disposable, like in the Cut and Move video. But occasionally, really crazy stuff slips through the cracks, and years later, you see a photo and remember how nuts this one thing was, or whatever. And in this video, his beanie, which I've carefully measured using scientific instruments, yep. is as tall as his entire head yep. and a half, which would make it approximately one and a half feet or eighteen inches tall. Yep. Uh, he's also rocking a collarless suede vest over a long sleeve T-shirt, two large, like you know, coffee cup coaster-sized golden hoop earrings, a tiny blonde bum-fluff beard, a gold tooth, and a pair of pants big enough for the Stay Puffed Man, tucked into army disposal boots that are maybe the worst thing I could imagine for dancing in the entire (laughs) world, Uh, which might explain why there's not really any dancing in the video. It's mostly just them posing around in silhouette. Yeah. And this also reveals one of the big problems with the 90s fashion as a whole, is that it exaggerates the negative... (laughs) about people for instance the lead stringer is a bit short but because he's wearing gigantic pants and boots and a beanie tall in his own head it makes him look like a breakdancing baby in sunglasses from a tv commercial about nappies uh his bandmates are all lanky 20 year olds and they're wearing vests over bare arms that exaggerate their total lack of shoulders and make them look like high school kids at rocker steadford like this is the essence of 90s fashion like we were we were gross teenagers at this point or i was and all the boys wore grunge fashion that made us look even scuzzier than we already were. Yeah. The girls wore op shop stuff, which was fashionable at the time, that made them look even broker than they already were. Yeah. And on TV every week, we watched like Mulder and Scully in the early seasons of The X-Files. Uh, they both look about 22, but they're wearing giant 90 suits that make yeah. them look like two kids going trick-or-treating as <laughs> FBI absolutely. agents. Like, it was, <laughs> this was the thing. At least in the 80s, people wore, like, giant shoulder pads and huge hair that made you look sort of top-heavy and kind of tough-looking, but, like, this stuff just makes them look like a bunch of little kids who have dressing up as their parents, you know, boy band. It's, it's a very strange look. Yeah, look, people like to shit on the 80s, but I think there's, without a shadow of a doubt, 90s fashion was, was so much terrible. worse yeah. than 80s fashion. The best thing um, about it was it didn't require a lot of effort. 
Yeah, from absolutely. My, my end, but Look, yeah. I think in the 80s, you could see a kid wearing skin-tight jeans and Metallica t-shirt. You can see that now in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also see people wearing ill-fitting tracksuits, yep. a la the 90s <laughs> in the year 2021. And let me just say that I would take that kid with the tight jeans and Metallica t-shirt 10 times out of 10 because <laughs> yeah. the, the, the oversized, weird, <laughs> ill-fitting, bullshit, whatever, whether it's a suit jacket, whether yeah. it's a tracksuit top, whatever it is, it looks fucking whack as hell. Um, but look, you mentioned the fashion in this video clip, Tom. Um, East 17, they, this is their only number one in Australia, but they did have five other top 10 hits. Oh, yeah. Um, they yeah, they heaps, were in the charts um, quite a few times. Um, House of Love. Yep. Deep. Uh, deep, deep down, West End Girls, which was a that was uh, pretty cover. good because it was a Pet Shop Boys yeah, cover. It's a cover. good song. So they, and Stay yeah. Another Day. And talking about the fashion, um, Stay yeah. Another Day. The latter, so that one, <laughs> it's probably one of the most nineties videos going. You mentioned the fashion, this one, but that one. If you want to see a dude in a fake white fur jacket uh, with Speed Dealer sunglasses and a sideways kangol hat. <laughs> Um, I'd have to watch a snow video but also it happens so while one of the other members is wearing a pleather duster (laughs) and MC hammer pants that are also pleather so (laughs) I think that's sort of um, they may actually be real leather but I assume they're pleather because Mm. they're so wide that you would need 1.4 million (laughs) dollars to afford actual leather in those size of pants so look power to them though these Mm. guys stood out in the 90s well they did these guys were meant to be the bad boys in the Great British boy band battle of 95 with the uh, not at all gay targeted take that versus <laughs> the not at all trying to be black East 17 with Westlife hiding in the trenches crying. Yeah. And yeah, but it, that battle raged for ages. Um, I remember once in, I think it could be the early 2000s in a car park looking, just idly glancing the back of uh, a Nissan Pulsar back window and there was a sticker that just said, never forget with like it had like 1994 1999 on it and I was like huh that's not what should I have and then there was a logo and it was a circle and it took me a few minutes to decode it as I was like oh that was the take that logo oh yeah good 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 never forget still keeping it real it's like (laughs) it's just like a T with an upside down T and I was like what starts with T T oh my fucking god Tom I will never forget the dream the dream clearly never died for that lady except when they broke up obviously and Robbie Williams renounced all of his membership in them yeah (laughs) for sure Look, in 97, so a few years past this time, Brian Harvey, one of the members of uh, East 17, he was involved in a drug-related controversy. Mm -hmm. He claimed that he'd taken ecstasy (laughs) on a night out. Holy shit, what? Um, And stated in the press that it's cool to take drugs and that (laughs) ecstasy can make you a better person, quote, unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, So that went against the boys' sort of, you know, boy band image. Yeah. And there was a media uproar and it led to questions being raised in the House of Commons. Mm. Um, so I guess it begs the question, do you think any Australian bands have been discussed in the Australian Houses of Parliament? Well, it's funny you should ask that because I remember Peter Costello, ex-treasurer of John Howard, derisively reading Midnight Oil lyrics when oh. Peter Garrett, the lead singer of Midnight Oil, was getting into politics. Uh, he later became the Green Senator for the Labour Party. Uh, the usual Liber Par- Liberal Party giveaway was that the lyrics he was derisively reading were for beds are burning, 
which are specifically about racial reparations for the Aboriginal mm. people. So he was doing the standard right-wing cell phone and reading out these lyrics in a sneering tone to the laughter of his assembled party and essentially mocking himself for being a dumb racist twat in a room full of exclusively white men, half of whom are laughing at the very idea of Aboriginal land rights. So, you know, <laughs> traditional liberal yeah. party. So, yeah, no, it's weird, but, I mean, it does occasionally happen. But, yeah, it's hard to imagine it happening. It's also, surely by 97, people had realised that everyone under... 25 was taking ecstasy in Britain. I would have thought Surely. so, yeah, absolutely. It seems pretty weird. I just assume that they would have. That's that's an interesting point yeah. you raised there, Tom. Like I, I can imagine a politician sort of... Um, let, let's assume that someone entered politics and they sort of brought up some lyrics that were controversial or sort of painted them in a bad light. But I think these lyrics from Midnight all just paint the band in a, in a in a good light in the sense yes, that they're respecting they do. something. So <laughs> let's laugh at someone for respecting the traditional landowners yeah. of our country. He's, he's ha, trying ha, ha, to... I think the, the joke is that, oh, like, listen to this naive pop music bollocks that you just yep. make yourself sound, A, really old and sad, and B, like someone who's completely Fucking out of touch racist. with the yep, basic exactly. idea. Of, Tom, know. do you think that um, Bernie's intense hammer rage you ever raised in the Australian <laughs> sort of... Um, uh, houses of Parliament. Probably. I hope that uh, the topic of Blood Dusters um, yeah. album was raised. <laughs> no, yeah. Look, uh, look. One would hope so. I think um, you know. I, I raise intense hemorrhage because uh, they're one of Tasmania's finest exports, True, obviously. They are. But also, I believe that they're the only band that's ever had an uh, an album refused classification <laughs> in this country. Uh, so it takes a lot to have an album well, refused classification. Blood Duster. Oh, I'm not sure, but uh, some people from Intense Hammerage, Bernie's Finest, um, had to go to court over the, the, the lyrical content of the album, oh, okay. so that proves to be quite well, quite crazy. Blood so. Duster, aren't, some of them were from Tassie. No, they? they're from they're from Victoria. Oh, Northcote, okay. Northcote, I believe. Who so. is Josh's brother? Who yeah, was yeah. Joel having, was that Intense Hammerage, was it? Or was uh, that Blood Duster? Maybe he was just in Tassie. Yeah, I think yeah. so. But definitely, but yeah, look. Because I, I remember their album was banned. Well, I think title. it's called Cunt, so I think that's sort of, um, you know, people don't take too fondly to that. But yeah, look, I don't know. I'll find out. I'll, I'll get on the Hansard and see whether... I was hoping for some lyrics from Intense Hammerage, but... Oh, not for this pot. We, you sure can't say up. them, Tom. You can't actually talk about them because um, mm. because of uh, their ban. They're banned in this country, so there you go. But look, um, seven weeks for that. E17, have you got any lyrical highlights? Well, speaking of lyrics, as I said, it's 1994. Everyone under 30 in Europe started taking pingers on the weekends, so all the lyrics are that particular sort of type of love, peace, positivity, positivity pablum that we would all get increasingly familiar with over the rest of the decade. Uh, at one point they say, we are the seed of the new breed and will <laughs> succeed, etc. Look, Ben, they're so new and radical that they're not even born yet. No, they're the they're seed just sperm. of... Yep. Which probably explains the outfits that they're wearing. But mm. yeah, I think that's enough about E17. I, maybe they'll pop up again, but not in the number one spot. No, unfortunately not. 580,000 people on Spotify, which seems low <laughs> considering the number of hits that it they is, had. It but... is kind of interesting song structure. I will say that. Oh, it starts no doubt. with this long, weird piano intro. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like, and then it sort of turns into a dance song, but 
sort of doesn't. It's yeah, the intro. One. You're right. Yeah. The, yeah, I mean, sorry. Yeah, we we rarely talk about the actual music in the, in the, in the oh, show. Just, but it's you're just right. An there's old there's one. a long yeah. intro and it's sort of piano based intro, and I think it's quite a long outro as well. I yes. mean, it's sort of like a sort of and it leans heavily on his forty BP. Like, yeah, sort of not quite dancey, but yeah. Look, it's interesting. Um, I think the good thing about E Seventeen is, as far as I know, that uh, I think they wrote most of their own songs. Yeah. Or at least one of the members did. So they were catchy. That yeah. cover of so, uh, West End Girls is yeah, good. Apart from That's that a one, fun yeah. song. So, but yeah. So I hope that means that they were able to, uh, you know, they made a bit of money off the songwriting, yeah, and they're able. I hope so. And you know, we haven't heard them from them for a while, but maybe they're just chilling out somewhere. Mm. You know, that they've got all their E seventeen money. They don't need to do anything. Um, Sixteen cents. That's that's, that's probably that's about probably right, about right. Say. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> So moving on to 23rd of April for one week, Celine Dion, The Power of Love. Oh, fucking hell again. Now, this sucks. <laughs> We've talked about this song before in the 80s episode, Tom, when Jennifer Rush reached number... If you can, if you can I remember, put your yes, mind back me, to, to several weeks ago. the same year as... Oh, yeah, Huey Lewis, Huey Lewis and News of Power, Power of Love. Exactly. Not in the same year, it was like... Three months afterwards, or something. And look, yeah. Tom, we speculated that people accidentally bought yes. the uh, the Jennifer but Rush that version. That does not explain this. No, frankly. so this sucks. Um, look, I don't really know what to say about Celine. Um, pretty boring. It's adult contemporary, so I was a child when this came out. Effectively, well, teenager, <laughs> so it didn't appeal to me then. I'm an adult now. Still doesn't appeal to does me. Does this confirm to your covers theory? Do you think? No, yeah, the, the, the cover's <laughs> always better than question. the original. Um, look, I know that I say the cover's always better than the original. Do I need to change that to the cover's better than the original 99% of the time? Because <laughs> I have found there's a bit of slippage recently with this cut and move just recently. So. Oh, hey, look, I suppose the question of what's better becomes kind of moot when both things are so terrible. Yeah, with, you yeah know. definitely. Look, I think we're going to talk about Celine later because... Mm. I think she's got some big hits well, look, coming up. Once again, as we've said before, this is about as close to a power ballad as we're going to get for 10 years after this, which is a sort of Dion, Carey, Whitney-style love ballad that builds to a sort of half assed crescendo, which is really just a showcase for the vocal range of the singer yeah. instead of a chance to stand off the top of a van and do air guitar the way God intended Absolutely. you to do. But yeah, so that's what we're going to get from look, this shit. It's not even from a film, but it sounds like it's from a film, oh, yeah. you know, Etc. For sure, yeah. Look, it sucks. Um, Celine's got ten mil. Um, doesn't <laughs> yeah. surprise me. Uh, Man, Sixteen not, cents. Nineteen ninety four isn't pulling any punches, is it? No, I got nothing this to say about this. Sucked in the eighties. Has not improved. Yeah, this sucks. Shit. Once again, the title makes you actively angry that you're not listening to Hugh Lewis in the news. Oh, for yeah. sure, for sure. Should we just move on? Yes, please, quickly. Uh, it is I'll, I'll Ace of Base, The Sign. The Sign. Four Fantastic. weeks. Four weeks for that. Now, look, we've talked about these fucking Nazis before, haven't we, in, in last week? I mean, holy look, shit, we know what they're about. I'm still furious their name's spelled wrong, but yeah. yeah. I mean, they've did other stuff too. Like, Yeah, Ace of Base bullshit. Um, so, look, you can flash back to last week if you want to hear mm. about our rant about um, how one of the members of Ace of Base was in a neo-Nazi band. So we don't, we don't need to reset yeah. those territory, but... The one thing I want to say about this song is that it's called The Sign. It opened up my eyes. I saw The mm. Sign. They're the lyrics. They're very coy. Yep. 
on what the sign actually is. Yeah. But we know their past, and the sign is obviously a swastika, Tom. Is that correct? I think it's clearly true. If it's not that, it's definitely an early story about taking the red pill, Ben. Mm. You know, I saw the sign, a swastika, Ben Shapiro tweet, copy of Jordan Peterson's latest book, etc. And it opened up my eyes to how white men are the real victims. You can't trust muzzies. Yep. After a few beers, how do we do something about this IQ scores problem? These IQ scores are trying to corrupt our white women, that yep. sort of thing. You know, like lyrically, you know, no one's going to drag you up to get into the light where you belong. But mm-hmm. where do you belong? Where do you belong, Ben? You belong at the top of society with all the money and the land and the chicks that totally want to bone you because you're such an alpha. You know? Look, I mean, uh, it I, says it all, really. It, this, this they were is, ahead of their time. This is it's a very... Yeah, you're right. Look, you've you've spelled it out. I don't really need to say any more about this. God, this 1994 is doing. It's pretty me rough. Look, yeah, hell. yeah. Look, I, I think that um, <laughs> we're into May. We this, haven't this had is, a decent song yet. That's fine. Let's move on from <laughs> sure. from the Nazis. We'll keep on moving. It's okay. Sorry. Good. That's fine. Um, four mil for Ace of Base. That's pretty high. Yep, thirty nine cents for this. That's you know probably yeah. It's fine. Whatever. So these guys, Ace of Base, I think they dropped out um, of life mm. soon up like I think you know they're not they're not a, I don't think they're a going concern today they certainly no. have any more hits but yeah obviously four million people today are still I think yeah sorry are there any are there any sort of like uh, white supremacists sort of <laughs> using this as their theme song well, or something? I do remember them coming up being referenced a few times on like South Park yeah and I remember thinking at the time like uh, I think I might have mentioned this last week when we were discussing their Nazi past but yep. they seem to have become a little bit uh, iconic through hindsight as a 90s oh, phenomenon yeah, yeah. like not not that people listen to them that much but it does like if you're just casting your mind back the way people think of like I think I said A Flock of Seagulls is this 80s band even though they actually only had one song just people remember nobody... that one dude with the haircut yeah, yeah and their name sticks in the mind yeah it's sort of like you know, it's weird what hang- when there were so many other 80s bands that nobody remembers Kajagoo. No, exactly. <laughs> look. That their one song was as good as that Flock of Seagulls song. Oh, yeah, for sure. Look, this sucked at the time. It sucks now. Yeah, um, there were better things around yeah. this same time. But for some reason, Ace of Bass, maybe their next or their name's catchy. They, you know, yep. they had a few catchy hits. But yeah. Absolutely. Look, Better Tom, stuff was happening. Please, let's move for on. For sure. Up to May 28 for two weeks. Tom, it is... The artist, oh, he's back. formerly known as Prince. Now, it is Prince, but at this specific point in time, Tom, he was referring to himself as the artist <laughs> formerly known as Prince or love symbol, yep. the symbol, whatever the fuck he was doing, it just wasn't Prince. Why yes. is that? What was he doing? Well, I think... Have we covered this or you? Oh, I think we probably, I before? think we probably did a little bit, yeah. Um, where he, where I think um, at the time he he considered himself to be signed to a, a predatory yes, recording contract yeah. when he was quite young, uh, and apparently Warner Brothers had trademarked the name Prince or something or done something with that, so he felt like he couldn't use his own name. I think he sort of suggested that the company owned that name even though that was yep. his birth name Prince is, a lot of people might think Prince is like a stage name but that's just his actual yeah, birth name that's his real name, his real name. Uh, and you know so anything that was marketed or released under the name Prince I believe um, 
he yeah. suggested was contractually owned by his record company. He, you know, I think he started performing around this time. He'd he'd, he'd write like slave on his yes. cheek and sort yeah. of tape his mouth up and those sorts of things. Well, I mean, so, at the time, everybody sort of thought, "Oh, look at this pampered ass rock star behaviour." Yeah. These are the same people now who are watching Netflix. HBO series about Britney Spears being under contractual obligations and <laughs> yeah. saying how, you know, and when you throw the racial connotations of a bunch of rich white men holding a black musician to ransom for his very <laughs> actual name, which exactly. they have turned into a trademark, like, it does actually seem a bit less crazy that you might go, well, fuck it, I'll just call myself Squiggle yeah. then, and you can all fuck yourself. For sure. And weirdly enough, this single was birthed in the early days of Prince's now legendary feud with Warners, which is what we're just discussing, in late 93 last year, a music executive allegedly told him that not only was he oversaturating the market with music, because he was famously prolific, but that he was falling out of step with the marketplace. Prince asked for a sort of hall pass, like, all right, well, I'll release a single song entirely on my own, to show that I still have the touch. I'll do everything myself. You stay out of it. The label went, okay, expecting it to tank and prove their point. And instead, he had this (laughs) massive worldwide hit. This was at number three on Billboard Hot 100, number two on the Hot R&B, and his first and only UK number one as well as only UK number one, yep, wow, as well okay. as number one in Australia, plus all over the fucking world. Yeah, but weirdly enough, uh, the song is the subject of a quarter-century-long plagiarism case by some Italian dudes from 1983 song called "Taken Me to Paradise." Mm. Now, unlike some of the songs that we have already talked about in plagiarism terms, it sounds absolutely nothing like <laughs> the song, except the melodic structure of the chorus is kind of similar. And this shit sucks, except that Prince is gone, so it's only going to cost his estate money. But that's yeah. why you can't stream or buy this song online. Really? Because okay. it's still because legally the... subject to wow, certain things. Okay. So, yeah. So, this this kind of fairly simple ballad was at the centre of a whole bunch of complicated yep. legal slash racial slash, you know, pop star related shit. So, there we go. Interesting. And I think we did previously mention in another episode that... Uh, when he became the symbol, he sent like a floppy disk <laughs> out to... That's right, because no one could... No, no, he couldn't... Well, he couldn't it. type it, so yes. he, he made out a floppy disk to all the uh, the music, I think, magazines at the time, etc., that reported on these sorts of things. So they had to download this specific <laughs> Prince font yep. so they could sort of put the symbol in. So power to that. That's fucking <laughs> sick. I think Prince is awesome. Um, and look, we've talked before about how... People said he was too sexual, mm. you know, oh, he's very sexual, it's always sexual stuff, and yeah. how that, you know, he could have, you know, I think, did we mention last week or the week before that Cream, he could have just called it cum, but he didn't, because <laughs> of restraint? Well, he almost did, yes, but yes, true. Because of restraint, and I think it's the same with this song, Tom, like, it's obviously, you know, the most beautiful girl in the world, but I think in other hands, <laughs> if someone else had have done it, that didn't have the restraint that like Prince Nikki does, Six, like Nikki Six or something... You know, I think it could easily have been called the most rootable cunt in the world. True, but true. Prince didn't do that. <laughs> it is all about restraint. Uh, and this was his seventeenth. This this song was off his seventeenth album. Seventeen. Seventeen. So and as also, we've let's not forget that from our entire time we've been doing this podcast, we mm. have basically never done an episode in which Prince does not appear no, in the in, previous he's in decade. Lot, so he yeah. Is, yeah, he's pumped this out. This is seventeen, and this is nineteen ninety four. So he still had. 
you know, another... He didn't die for another two decades after this, plus all the stuff in his vault. So he just kept on going. And should I also mention that the first song on this album is called P Control, (laughs) which apparently stands for Pussy Control. But as I said, P Control constrained Tom. He didn't call it Pussy Control. He went, I'm going to dial this back. I'm going to call it... P control, so it's fantastic. Now, was it was at this very point in time was Prince dating Vanity? Do we know? Oh, was this the Vanity era? It may have been, mm. but look, let me just say, speaking of P control, yep. there is no official video for Pussy Control. Oh, I was no. curious because I'd never heard of that, so I looked it up. But thank God he performed it at the VH1 Fashion and Music Awards in '95. Yeah, the video is fucking rad. I'll put the link in the thing. You got to watch it immediately. It's yeah. another Prince masterpiece. Like the song kicks ass for a start. It's got bizarrely progressive verses, considering the song title. Uh, Prince has slave texted onto his face, nice. as previously mentioned. He's wearing a tomato-coloured suit with six-inch stiletto pumps, and he's got a pistol microphone. There's sick choreography. There's weird interpretive dance from people in the background. There's schoolgirl costumes. There's a woman disguised as Prince. There's a guitar solo that ends with Prince punching the guitarist in the face. Sweet. There's fat beats. Like, each chorus is a reenactment of what's happening in the chorus. Uh, Prince falls off the stage for no reason halfway through, then just reappears back on the stage. There's multiple costume changes. There's gold balloons everywhere for some reason. It's fucking awesome. Just definitely watch it. It's the next bat dance, I'm telling there you. There is nothing about that that doesn't sound like the greatest thing that's <laughs> ever been laid to tape. I think that Prince is fantastic. And that's sort of... The, the thing is, Tom, I listen to that and go, that sounds amazing, but I just think that's just what I expect from Prince. Well, that's the just thing. something that we you're just going to go, We sort of took it for granted fantastic. at the time. Like like the symbol thing. It's just like, oh, look at this guy being all weird again. And like, you know, but yeah. There's a lot of thought behind that. That's There's a lot right. Involved, so look. It's similar to Bowie, I think, yep. as well. Like, is it a coincidence that Prince and Bowie died the same year? Like, the coolest white guy in history and the coolest black guy in history. Like, you know, who are their replacements been? Who's we take filling the void granted. of uh, these two guys? Who have we got? Christopher um, Walken can't live forever, Ben. Yeah, look, then I, who have we got? Um, if I had to go out on a limb, I would... For, for Prince... <laughs> um, Whew, that's a tough one. Jazzy so, Jeff. Jazzy, probably. probably Jazzy <laughs> Jeff or Jason Derulo. Um, and for the white guy, probably... Uh, Dero from Heartbreak High. Dero, yep, yeah, that's right. Despo, sorry. A Despo. Or... Um, Jason Priestley. Well, Jason Priestley, I think. <laughs> but he doesn't sing a lot, so... Yeah, probably. I'm yeah, just, I'll, I'll run I'm with. I think a brainstorm. No, here. I think I'll say Jason. You're right. So <laughs> no. we've got Jason Derulo and Jason Priestley. I think <laughs> the two Jasons, um, or um, a rapper with face tattoos, probably. <laughs> so Post Malone, he, Post he can do it. Post oh Malone can be the Post Malone's the new whoever. T Pain and Post Malone. T Pain and po- Auto Pain duo. T Pain is the new Prince. And Post Malone is the new David mm. Bowie. You heard it here first. Oh, millennials uh, there you go. suck on that one. Absolutely. So, look, uh, this is great. Um, sorry. 
P Control <laughs> video is great. This song, you know, it's not necessarily I don't no, one of his best. It's, it's, kind, of, it's a just a kind of ballad. Yeah. I like it when he when he got a bit more in your face, like with yes. my name as Prince or yeah. or sexy motherfucker, yeah. something like that. So that's what makes that Pussy Control video so much fun. Is like that's like a B side for him. Yeah, played exactly. at like a second string fashion awards show. Yeah. Does he? Does he piss it in like he could have? Just get on stage, you know, everyone screams at him, wear a frilly shirt, do a good song, walk off. No. He goes he blows shit. it out of the fucking water exactly. with 20 extras, 14 costume changes, all crazy shit. By comparison to that, the video for this is pretty restrained. I mean, obviously he's dressed like a figure skater on his period, but other than that, it's mostly <laughs> just a sort of cast of diverse, different size, different aged women very, yeah. very, very 2020, a little bit weird for 94, but quite progressive. And it ends with a black female president taking the stage who looks a lot... I thought it was Whitney Houston for me. She looks very <laughs> much like Whitney or Amar. Was it Vanity? It wasn't Vanity. It wasn't Vanity, no. You th- it sounds like I'm just being racist, but she does look a lot like Whitney, who was big at the time. So yeah. maybe they did her hair to sort of look at that. Absolutely. But I mean, this was like a decade away before advertising agencies and women's magazines figured out that you know, having women who looked vaguely realistic would give you a pat <laughs> on the back, but you know. You needed someone that weighed 40 kilos yeah. and they're about to die. Also, plus after he died 20 years later, they interviewed the women who appeared in this video and every single one of them said he was rad. None of them said he went with the Weinstein on them or anything like that. No, plus, look- and I had a look at the single, the back of the single is just a shot of his ass. Mm. I think I'm falling in love with Prince Ben. I'm sorry. Oh, look, massive respect to this dude. I, I enjoy uh, everything that he's ever done. Um, in, from a performative point of view, I mean, like not all the songs, you know. No, no. Like I said, about, but this is not one all, of my favourites. But it's all. Yeah. But it's it's from a it's from a performance point of view. He obviously yes. didn't care about the norms of whatever pop music was at the time, and I think his record label were. It's a weird sort of thing to say. You're too prolific. You know what I mean? And that's yes. sort of where this came from, his sort of whole becoming a symbol. Because I think a lot of studios, record labels must be thinking, okay, you've had a lot of hits. When's the next thing yeah. coming that we can put out there? But they're like saying, you're releasing, you're writing too much music, you're releasing too much yeah. stuff, which is a very weird sort of thing. And that Prince archive, apparently it's just, you know, it's like yeah. fucking just thousand song deep of, of bizarre. It sort and of it sort of shows the truth of how the certainly at the time the record industry model worked as well, which oh, it, yeah. which involved a bunch of white people with money in boardrooms controlling the supply yep. of music coming out. Like that's their, that's their sole function. They don't go to the shows and pay the money for the tickets. Nor do they well, yeah. at the other end produce the music themselves. They're in the middle pinching off nuggets one at a time and if you start pushing too much product through then they don't know what's going on what's happening like you say they're used to the opposite problem they're used to nothing coming down the pipe and you have to deliver another truckload of Peru's finest to (laughs) Motley Crue's you know mansion to hopefully get (laughs) half a same old situation down the pipeline you know (laughs) absolutely yeah, they. It's funny that being involved in the record industry didn't require any knowledge or care about the actual uh, sort of, you know, the the creative process, the human creative process, where people actually go about recording and writing songs. It sort of was more about just how can we get something out, or in Prince's case, not out. So it's sort of uh, yeah. it's it's pretty weird. But look, power to him. The dude had a great career. 
Um, and unfortunately, another victim of the opioid crisis, Tom. Let's get <laughs> yeah. fentanyl overdose, no that. good. So that's that's rough. Um, Ten point five mil for Prince. That's life. That's a, is that a bit low? Or that is, is low. That's about right. That I would is have thought, low. Unless is, he's divided up into. Prince and the new power generation. Oh, yeah, Prince, that's true. That's like, or, that's true. or that's Prince true. and love symbol are separate categories or Let's, something. Let's. Uh, like I'll, I'll do the research, Tom. During the surely week, I'll that's make sure. only two million more than Will Smith. He must yeah. have had more people. I mean, he's got so many hits over four decades. You can't tell of, me yeah. that Prince has less follows than Brian Counting Adams. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, maybe it's a weird world we live in, Tom. Maybe he does. <laughs> I'm not sure. Ninety cents. Um, That's a bit more like yeah, it. Yeah, it's probably about right, I think. So it's okay. Um, so two weeks for that. Well done, Prince. Sorry, the artist formerly known <laughs> as Prince or the symbol. I don't want to refer to him as the... He does He, he does become Prince again <laughs> yeah. in the future. So this he is was always of, Prince. He was, he was annoyed always at his record company. This is sort of like a... Completely justifiable sort of, reasons, but... Yeah. Absolutely. So 11th of June, Tom, for three weeks, crash test dummies... Mm, 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 mm. Now, Tom, this has aged poorly, <laughs> and I think it was fucking terrible to begin with. Is that a fair assessment? Well, we won't have to differ on this one because oh, you love I it? have, I have, I wouldn't say I love it, <laughs> but I would say that it has a certain appeal to me. But yeah. Fair enough, that's okay. We don't usually differ in opinion, so that's that's no, a, that's a no, usually right. usually we just you can't um, agree on every single thing. But no, yeah. well, we we usually rehearse these. People don't realize that. <laughs> This is the recording. Oh, is we, we, rehe- we, we sort of rehearse yeah. this. You know, we'll go through the whole thing word for word. Mm. Sort of, you know, um, we practice this. We, you know, we that's practice right. Tom's going. That's right. We've done that. We practice the whole thing. You know, three, you four, see. five. That's practice. We've, we've, we've <laughs> added that. We've rehearsed that. We've done that. So we do this sort of every every sort of thing and. <laughs> All, and Tom Almost spilling, sh- spilling out the microphone, spilling yeah. some liquid on that was rehearsed. It's all rehearsed. <laughs> so we do this sort of four or five times. We record that, and then we'll come mm. and record this. So, Me constantly interrupting so that's in why, an annoying way. That's all rehearsed. So that's why we always agree. But um, we thought we'd do something different, and we didn't rehearse this part. So we don't know what's going <laughs> on. This is all free of of whatever. So. I'm saying this sucks shit, um, but Tom is saying he loves it. Tell me more, Tom. Um, well, look, just uh, not to get into the quality of it, but it's. Um, I think this is another example of the sort of the start of alternative stuff, guitar-based stuff entering the mainstream. Like, this is obviously related to grunge, like the vocals particularly and the sort of grim subject matter and the video clip, which looks like a could be Blind Melon or a yep. Smashing Pumpkins video or something. But it's not metal enough to qualify as grunge. No. But um, it was big anyway. This was number one in eight countries, uh, which is unusual for... Yep. Like, this is not a... It's not a rock song. It's not a ballad. It's not a love song. Yeah. It's just a kind of weird oddity... But yeah, well, the dude has that baritone vocal. He has an very voice. deep, yes, deep vocals, which yeah. I think sort of at the time uh, clearly sort of differentiated it from other songs. I think mm. there was that sort of very deep voice. The baritone vocals, people sort of heard that, and yeah, it was a weird song. Um, I didn't love it when I was younger. Don't love it now, but that's not to say that it doesn't have something interesting going on. Yeah. Each verse, you're right, it tells a story. Three verses, yes. three stories, Tom. Uh, what's the first one? There was a kid 
who got into an accident, couldn't go to school. When he finally came back, his hair had turned from black into bright white. Yep. And then there's a girl who wouldn't go to change with the girls in the change room, but just mm-hmm. when they finally made her, they saw birthmarks all over her body. Yep. And then there's a boy whose parents made him come directly home after school. And when they went to their church, they shook and lurched all over the church floor. <laughs> yep. Like, uh, we're probably going to... explain it. We're going to disagree here, but I like these lyrics. They're not... I mean, they're literal in the sense that they're literally telling stories, but yep. they don't... Li- like, it doesn't add up to anything specific. It's kind of... A, it's a more of an overall feeling. Yeah. Like, and I think it's clever that they're framed in the way that kids tell bad stories to each other. Okay. Like, it's all... Once there was this kid too, and he said that it was from when... Like, which is yeah, fitting okay. that they're all about kids. And it's easy to write it about... It's easy to write a song about a kid finding about out about death or yeah. finding out that the world is tough or whatever, you know, and harsh. But this is subtler, but maybe even darker than that, I reckon, because I think it's about the unconscious childhood realisation that the universe is fucking arbitrary. Yeah. Like, some people are born with blotches on them for no reason. True. Accidents happen to you for no reason and your hair changes colour for no reason. And if you're born with the wrong parents, they can ruin your life while thinking it's the right thing to do because God told them to. You know, therefore, God doesn't exist and life is fundamentally meaningless, which is a lot to take on in grade three, you know? Yeah, I think it is quite a dark song in that sense that it does sort of... um, People sort of... It's interesting, though, because were people just sort of, like, captured by the choruses went... Maybe. Maybe. And does that show a lack of effort on the songwriter's (laughs) part by just sort of putting... As you said, Tom, putting so much effort into these verses to paint a picture of sort of what it's like to be a child with getting into it. You know, as you said, the world is arbitrary. Mm. Things can happen to you. Not everyone has a best life. All the stories painted in this are people that have not had great times yes. in their childhood due to accident or just your birth or weird parents. Uh, and then when it comes to the chorus, it's like, what's something really, you know, <laughs> we need something profane yes. and they've just sort of gone, like, well, what, what's going on If there? you wanted to look at it in a positive, if you, if you wanted to paint it in good light, you could say, well, he left it open in that sense to yep. allow you space to... To think own, about, yes. To, to think about what you yes. just. Heard. I just told you a little story, but I'm not going to give you a conclusion about what's mm. in common with these things. Or if you wanted to play the devil's advocate, advocate, you could say, well, perhaps this is an unskinny bop situation where he wrote <laughs> mm, 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 yep. when they were practicing the song and then never got around to coming up with anything better. Than Absolutely. I mean, what does rhyme with mm? <laughs> <laughs> nothing? Nothing at all. Look, um, Tom. You've almost, you've opened up my eyes. I've saw I've seen the sign, um, as Ace of Base would say. I think that there's probably a swastika uh, yeah. carried by Pepe the Frog. Down there. <laughs> I think that uh, I probably hadn't really thought about uh, what you've spoken about. Just you know, in terms of sort of like, yeah, it is a song about from the point of view of kids that that have had a rough time and how that it isn't really anything that had to do with them. It's just sort of the unfairness of life, I guess. Yeah, it's so. told the way a kid would tell yeah. a story about that to another kid. You Absolutely. Know. So I think lyrically, it, it is a very interesting song. I think musically, um, the name Crash Test Dummies is apt <laughs> because 
when listening to this song, I do wish that I was being driven into a wall at 120 kilometers an hour, but that's just me. Look, I kind of like it. I'm not proud of it, but I do. Like, I would put Embrace this, it, Tom. Embrace it. I would put this next to Mr. Jones by Counting Crows, oh, yeah. which came, around, came out at a similar time, as songs that are too clever and catchy for me to hate even though I don't really like the bands and they're very easy to mock. Oh, that's For good. obvious reasons, you know. Speaking of which, Lyrical Spotlight, everyone knows the lyrics, but do they know the lyrics of Headline News, the Weird Al parody of this song? <laughs> I hope. Which, no, no, no. <laughs> once again, we've talked about this before, say what you like, but if you get parodied by, parodied by Weird Al, that shows that you were of cultural moment enough to oh, stick absolutely. in people's heads at the time. You made it, yeah. Yeah, um... And I know that you love Weird Al, so I thought you might yeah, appreciate no this yeah, version, yeah, parody, which yeah. concerns three <laughs> then-current news stories. Okay, tell me about uh, it. Give one is some forgotten tourist who got caned for doing graffiti in Singapore. Forgotten him. Yep. Tonya Hardy. Oh, good. And yeah. John Wayne Bobbitt. Good. Famous <laughs> dick getting cut off. Two out of three ain't bad, because, mm. yeah, everyone remembers Tonya Harding... Um, Getting, you know, breaking crushed, some legs. Broke, breaking some legs. <laughs> and John Wayne Bobbitt getting his dick cut the off. The John so. Wayne Bobbitt verse is my favourite, although it's a lot funnier in a deep voice that I don't have. But yeah, uh, it says, And then there was this guy who made his wife so mad one night that she cut off his wiener. And when he finally came to, he found that Mr. Happy was missing. He couldn't quite explain it. It had always just been there. That's good. <laughs> it's so much Power funnier in the voice. I can't do the voice. Does Weird Al do a good baritone, or does he sort of? He, yeah, no, he, he does. Like a pitch he does. Shifter, so and like, he sort of he sort of stares into the middle distance the way the guy does in the song. Nice. That's another sort of alternative thing about it. All the guys in the band look like they could be moonlighting for Pearl Jam on the weekend. Oh, They've all got yeah, long, centre parted grunge here they're all strumming electric acoustics yeah. meaningfully staring off in the distance yeah. but I think that's sort of um, it's that an interesting point because this is this is 94 so I think by this stage uh, you're you're in a grunge band that's playing in a garage in or and then you're playing weekend shows in front of like a hundred people or you know mm. and you're living off basically selling three t-shirts to get gas money to the next place you're really only two notes away from being the yeah. crash test. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's such well, a fine go, line between. You could just crank the tempo a bit. Yeah. Take the distortion pedal off and what? write the yep. next two princes. Yeah. Exactly. You know, little Miss can't be it's wrong. Like, we could be millionaires. We've got the haircuts for sure. It, it, there was a very fine line between if yeah you're right if we just dialed down that sort of angsty like yeah go a bit quirky go a bit take the fuzz pedal down the distortion distortion down a bit you know maybe yeah you're right i think there was such a fine line you're only two notes away from from being you know a two million album seller Mm. big thing so and i think the crash test dummies you're right they fell onto the other side of that line where this was a really big hit and then there's other bands that never quite got there but they were so, so close. Yeah. And alt-rock was real weird, I think, around this time, post-grunge, you've where it's just sort you've of... You've got to admit, like, say what you like, whether you like or hate this song, mm. number one in eight countries for that oh, strange yeah. song. Like, Power that to is, them. It's not a novelty song, no. but nor does it sound like a hit. No. And I, I would 
bet you a lot of money that none of the guys in that band wrote that expecting it to be any kind of a hit at all. No, I bet you they were as surprised as anybody that it suddenly took off. You know? No doubt, no doubt at all. Look, um, 1.2 mil still on the Spotify. Yes. Pretty good. Um, 16 cents, yeah, okay, that's fine. All, the, <laughs> No one pays any money for <laughs> no. any of these things. <laughs> no. Why do I keep looking it up, Tom? I don't really know. Um, so, okay. look, that was pretty good. Uh, Careful, because 1994 has got the brass knuckles back on again. What's fucking next? Hell, 2nd of July for six weeks six. is wet, wet, wet. Oh, Love is all around. Now, Tom, this oh, is awful. This right is a, this is a cover... A cover of a song by the Trogs. Okay, so you can't um, entirely blame them. No, it's a cover, but it was also in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Ah, so first movie song of the year, yes. Always yep. a movie song. Is that expl- oh, sorry, there was the Sting one as well. But oh, no, true. Sorry, you're the, right. Second the, movie song of the year. That, three Musketeers song, yeah. The Gang Bang, the song came out <laughs> for the Three Musketeers. I think this was written specifically for... Yes, or covered specifically. Covered specifically for yeah. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, number one for six weeks in Australia, but let's just... You know, much like now how in Australia we're doing okay with the coronavirus, we look mm. at the UK and say, oh, we pity them because things are not as good there as they yeah. are here. Similar situation here. We had six weeks of this. The UK had 15 weeks of number one for oh, this. So God. we must pity them. That's Can you imagine three that? and a half months. 15 weeks. Bollocks. I mean, I know of marriages that have lasted less time <laughs> than that being at number one. That is Possibly insane. because they played this at their wedding. 15, that is 15 weeks. That is absolute madness. Now, look, um, where we were themselves, the original band name was Vortex Motion. Um mm-hmm. Now, that's bad, but I think that's probably better than wet, wet, wet. Wet, wet, wet is terrible. I mean, not I don't only... really know what it implies. Is it sort of like... It's I sort think of... I remember vaguely hearing it was something to do with a weather report or something equally piss weak. But if you're listening to this not from a UK-adjacent country, like, the other thing you have to remember is that in the UK and Australia to a certain extent, wet is also a colloquialism that sort of denotes kind of limp, tedious lameness. So it's like calling yourself, you know, soft, 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 or I don't know. I think the name's terrible. I um, want to say gay, 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 but without the... The content, Without yeah. the sexual content. Just no, the yeah. kind of... It's like being called lame, lame, lame. Oh, exactly, you know? yeah. Um, as if one lame wasn't enough to really get across how much we suck... And here they are, sucking all over the place for six weeks. Vortex motion. Is that is that better? Vortex. This is why everyone hated Hugh Grant it's for very, so long. Yeah, exactly. Look, I don't really know I don't know why he's to blame for this, but he is somehow. I think he is. He probably was involved in, in getting the band to cover this, I assume. So, look, um, these guys had a top ten hit in Australia before with the song Sweet Surrender. Do you remember that? Oh, really? Okay. Um, that was better than this. If oh, that's it's the one yeah, I'm thinking. It's not oh, great. It's not the one I'm thinking no, no. of, no. No, my sweet surrender. You might know. It's not great, yeah. but it's better than this bullshit. Um, look, so, as we said, this is a cover from the Trogs. Now, interestingly, Tom, the Trogs lead singer, Reg Presley, he claims that he mm. wrote this song in 10 minutes. We've got to get a name for this. Because yep. this comes up every couple of years. It it's does. like the half I an wrote, hour club or whatever. We or wrote this in 10 minutes Wrote now. this in an hour. Wrote this on the way back from the pub. Yep. Wrote this while the Kylie sure. was downstairs in the... We need to, in yeah, the, we need to know this. Yeah. 
Yeah. Stocker and Waterman claim that all of their hits were written in about 10 minutes. Mm. And, and as no, we learned... It's nine minutes too long. They were exaggerating well, <laughs> how long. We did learn that when they claimed to write a song in five minutes, it was awful. So I think they needed the full <laughs> 10. But um, So he claimed that 10 minutes he wrote this, got it perfect, uh, released this under the trogs back in the day. When this was revived by Wet, 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 obviously mm-hmm. went to number one, six weeks in Australia, 15 weeks in the UK, sold a lot of copies. Yep. Um, so Reg Presley got a lot of like a, a, a massive royalty payout, sure. effectively. So he Good. claimed that well, he, he got a lot. Yeah, it. and as he did, you know, you know, as the songwriter, he deserves all those royalties that he gets from from writing this song. And uh, Tom, he donated the proceeds of the royalties that he received from this song mm-hmm. to uh, crop circle research. Now, is that money well spent? <laughs> Remind me, Ben, what are crop circles? Um, for those that don't know, crop circles uh, were effectively. In the 90s, that was proof that aliens existed. Mm. Now, There's no way that human beings could flatten grass, Ben. No. Well, Prove me wrong. Yeah, well, that's that's. I guess that's the thing. So most people said, what's up with those crop circles? Did someone just <laughs> go out and flatten some grass down? They went, no, no, no. Had mm. to be aliens. So Reg, Reg Presley, the writer of Lovers All Around, said, I'm going to donate mm. the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in royalties <laughs> I received from this song. Could have bought a house, could have renovated his yes. existing house, could have done anything, but said, no, 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 no. Crop circle research is what I want my legacy to Look. be to find out how those crop circles are created. Are they made by people or are they made by aliens, Tom? As it was the mid-90s, like X-Files was huge. A lot of yep. people were afraid of aliens because the world was actually in an unbelievably good place, so they had to invent shit to be afraid of. Yep. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I wouldn't say that it was the worst way of spending your money. Like, he could have turned out to be right, but... Um, I think it's one of the worst ways you can spend f- your fortunately, money. Fortunately, as the shithouse movie Signs revealed, aliens are afraid of water. <laughs> that's so, true. Uh, and coincidentally, that's where Wet, Wet, Wet got their name from, Ben. They were trying to warn us. They were <laughs> they trying were. to let us know. Very that, much. Uh, yeah. Um, Signs is awful. Uh, it's do, appalling. Do you like, do you like any of, of his films, M. Night Shyamalan? Signs was where I got off the Shyamalan taxi. Yeah. And then I stuck my head in the door for um, Lady in the Water, screamed myself laughing, and dived into heavy traffic to get out of the taxi yep. again. Uh, yeah, no, the first couple I remember liking. I remember liking Unbreakable and Sixth Sense. But um, yep. yeah, I think he's got... I just saw a trailer for something. He's got a new thing on the way, some other thing. I'm guessing there'll be a twist ending, but yeah. He just keeps on going. I assume there's twists all the way. <laughs> um, look, I, I'm the same as you, Tom. I ducked out probably around the time of... Uh, yeah, Unbreakable, I think. <laughs> the one where, the, where we'll... Where we'll uh, Bruce Willis couldn't die and, or whatever the fuck happened Signs is way so. worse than that it's got oh, one good scene in terrible, it yeah. which is through a video recording of a kid's birthday party and the rest of it is pretty bad so. yeah I, th- I think most people saw The Sixth Sense and said this dude is, is onto something and then mm. went to watch Signs as a result of that and um, <laughs> yeah it sucked anyway uh, this song is probably worse than that though. So look, um, 2.2 mil on the Spotify. That's, that's too way too many. Too many. Um, but you can buy this for two cents. That's what so, it's worth. Yep. Which I think's about, so if you stream this song a thousand times on Spotify, <laughs> Wet 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 will probably make two cents. So um, <laughs> yeah, go buy it, I guess, if you want to give the money 
to well, they're not probably selling their own singles. On. I don't actually know what's going on. I hope they're um, Yeah, look, it, it, no lyrical highlights, Tom. Or, there aren't any, no, no. and they didn't write anyway. It's <laughs> yeah, very, it's, it's actually not terrible lyric wise. Like to give credit to Ridge Presley, yep, um, it's just very basic and simple and schmaltzy and a bit sweet. But yeah, they didn't write it, so no credit either. Well, way. look, those 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 great lyrics ended up. Getting to the bottom of uh, what happened with the crop circle. I was trying to well. remember what else the Trogs did. Did the Trogs do Wild Thing? They did, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. They had a few hits back in the 60s. They've got a terrible name, so they must have had something going on. Absolutely, but, yeah. but look, you know, that's pretty good. Um, wet, sure. wet, wet brought that back for them, so... Quickly, let's move on. Good on them. Um, all for one, which is all dash, four, dash, and then four is the, the number four, and then one is one, uh, like spelled out I swear God. now look Tom it's I know me. I know you're thinking that these guys are one hit wonders <laughs> but uh, the track She's Got Skewers went to number three in New Zealand so you'd be wrong <laughs> to suggest they're one hit wonders uh, are they from New Zealand? I'm... they're not they're not at all they're from the US but um... they had they had a number one hit here a number three in uh, New Zealand put yes. those together yeah they're out of yeah, one hit one no, territory. I remember so, now. Absolutely. Look, here um, we are. Look, we're reaping the fucking whirlwind that boys to men set loose upon the charts. I no mentioned this doubt, before. Yeah. Get ready for five more years of this shit. This won a fucking Grammy and they were nominated twice more in 96. And yeah, I mean, please. Oh, look, this is terrible. Um, this is one of those just really boring, is sort of mm. like. You know, that's what it it's. Means. It's hard to get this through is the, the other the, thing the that replaced of the power ballad. Yeah, um, it's amazing how long four minutes can feel. Absolutely, and look, the video clip features all four dudes in all for one. And look, there's a fucking mm. shit double entendre there. I it's assume always like, there's four, dudes. four people in the group. It's all for one. Like, oh, yeah, awful. Uh, they're standing on the top of a skyscraper. I don't mm. know what city they're in, Tom. It looks like somewhere in the US of A. <laughs> Standing on top of the skyscraper, they, they look down on the street and they see a chick crossing the road. And they look down and they go, oh, shit. So then they run, they somehow get down, <laughs> they must get on like a like a an elevator that's travelling at the speed of light or near mm. to the speed of light. They get down to the ground, they chase her through the city. So they're basically stalking and following her around there. They finally catch up to her and then they sort of surround her and they're sort of like, Going, ah, it's, it's looked like they're trying to get a recruiter for like a gangbang or something. Like it's this really creepy sort of like, hey, what, hey, come and hang out with us, four dudes. It's going to be fucking so, yeah, great. And then she's like, fuck you guys. She gets on a bus and just drives off, and that's the end of the video clip. Uh, I was creeped the fuck out by this. Just these dudes, just sort of again stalking her, stalking her through the street, and then like sort of harassing her, like. Come and hang out with us. It's going to be so sexy. And it's like, I don't think it is. It's not as creepy as that Billy Ocean impersonator, but it's not great. Yeah, so. oh, exactly. Look, in uh, February 2016, All For One joined the inaugural I Love The 90s tour with Good. their peers, Salt and Pepper, featuring Spinderella. Good. Pre- uh, you know, R.I.P. Vanilla Ice, Coolio, Tone Lock, Colour Me Bad with two Ds, Rob Bass, Kid and Play and Young MC. Now, would you have gone to that bill? Oh, I would have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's so much talent on one bill. <laughs> I'm not sure what the price point would be for such things. I was going to say, I think it would depend on how much. Oh, absolutely. If they're asking $100, they can fuck right off. But What about uh, the price of a single from uh, Brashes in the mall? 
Peru. Yeah, look, I think that's a fair point. Um, I would, I, I would definitely go and watch that. But um, yeah, would the yeah single price? Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot sort of maths to sort of calculate mm. there. But I think um, you got to sort of factor in how much would you prepare to pay for each artist? So I would probably pay. <laughs> 10 bucks to go and see Salt and Pepper. Mm-hmm. Would I also pay $10 to go and see Young MC? Maybe. So oh, you I'm sort good. of you start adding it up and going combined yes. maybe 40 bucks. I'd pay 10 bucks for someone to remind me who Kid and Play was. Yeah. Kid and Play were from a, a film, I believe. I can't remember which one they were from. They sound like one of those cartridges that you used to be able to plug into your Nintendo that allowed you to cheat yep. by entering cheat codes and stuff like that. Uh, absolutely. Rob Bass, frustratingly, also spilt like Ace of Bass. Don't remember who that was either. Coolio yep. seems like he's from a different era to these guys, but I guess Gangster's Paradise can't have been too far off. No, I don't think it was too far away, yeah. Um, there is a gap, though. He's definitely from later on. I think he's. I think Coolio might be fucking piggybacking on the back of the lowrider that these guys are driving through town. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> Look, I think that's a pretty good package tour, but I think it could be kind of better. Kids and Play, um, they're in House Party. One and two. Oh, okay. Never saw that so they were like a low budget fat boys or something. Real low budget fat That's boys. Very Look, low um, budget. Yeah, I don't know whether I'd barely get a zinger for that budget. I, I think as you, as you mentioned, Tom, that's a very good sort of package tour, but I'm not going for these guys. I'm not going for no. all for one. I'm going for the other people. At least I will say for one of those package tours, at least these guys are thematically connected. Like yep. if you liked Young MC in 1994, there's a pretty good chance you also like Salt and Pepper, maybe Vanilla Ice. Definitely Color Me Bad. Oh, you know, at absolutely. least at least you'd be dancing. You wouldn't be suddenly interjected by Kajagoogoo no, or no. one of the guys from Duran Duran embarking sure. on a side project, or you know, look, Tom, Cindy I should Lauper busting up the party or anything like that. I should probably know. I'd pay probably forty bucks just for Color Me Bad. I should probably <laughs> throw that out there. Right I would now, pay so. forty bucks just to see Young MC on his own, but I'm. There I'm biased. All right, cool. All right, let's let's. What else have we got? Uh, um, One point seven mil. Two, oh, sorry. Did you two, have anything else? Two to say about cents it? on this mother. Two cents as well on this. I can love you like that. Is that? Oh, sorry. I was just going to mention that. Um, someone else. Uh, I can love you like that was a song that reached. It, it was released. It, it was a big hit on the country scene. Yeah. Um. So I believe it reached number one, and then all for one covered it. Two months later, wow. and went to number twelve in Australia. Is that too soon? That sort of so it went to number one in America, <laughs> and then Color Me Bad. Sorry, these not Color Me Bad. Fucking all for one. Two months later, re- did a cover and released it. It went to number twelve that's in pretty Australia. Close. That's I think that is that too. I think that's too close. Yeah, I think you sort of. I think someone releases something to, goes to number one. You got to there's, there's a sort of a grace period before you can sort of yes cover that to release it. These guys I, through caution to the wind. They didn't care about industry mm. standards. They just said, let's cover that right now. Let's call it the funky town effect, Ben. Absolutely, I'm, yeah. I'm saying a minimum of four years before you throw down a car. I think so. I'd like that's, to see uh, that. That's one year for every member of All For One. Yeah. Minus four for the number four in their name. And then plus four for the total number of vaginas that they have. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I think that's a good calculation. I'd like to see that in legislation. So if we mm. can contact your local politicians... Let's get them. Let's get that bill into parliament. Let's get that done. Let's get that approved. Because I would like to see that in law, L A W law, <laughs> that there needs to be a certain grace period 
by the calculation yes. that Tom has mentioned so that we can get a period because we don't no one wants to hear a number one song and then wake mm. up two weeks later and hear it number one again by a different artist and trying to remember and whether then again, this is the song that you and then again heard. imagine imagine the yeah. number imagine a song was just number one for mm. a full two years just by different artists keep releasing it you would get tired of that I think the problem is by this stage in 1994 that already people had started to hear about the news about Ben Gilly's Law of Covers. Yeah, they had. And yeah, people exactly. had realised we got to get fast because and cover co- yeah, this shit. That was a big original. hit. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's no time to put these no. covers better than the original. Oh, look, it, it is problematic. The cover's always better than the original, but there needs to be a grace period, I think, as well, Tom. So it's sort of, it's, you know, mm. but maybe, maybe just maybe, Tom, I'm wrong and I should just sort of, you know, you know, a laissez faire attitude where I just let the market decide. So people can cover anything at any stage they want to. I don't really know. So look, I don't want to. I don't want to impede on the market. No. Let's just let it do what it does. It's a marketplace of ideas. It is, and for by sure. ideas, I mean someone else's ideas that you've not my yeah, exactly off. not my idea. Uh, look, Tom. Up next, 17th September. Oh, sorry. Um, numbers? Oh, sorry. Did you have... Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Two cents, one point... <laughs> two, two cents. One 1.7 mil. Two cents. Another two sure. center, yeah. The two, two cents is, I think, as low as it gets because I think that must mean it's like one US cent and then they adjust yes. it for like inflation. I think so. we only had one person lower than that, which was someone who didn't register. On, it might have been Euphoria who didn't, there, didn't no one register one. Yeah, on nothing, nothing, exactly. They were literally off the radar. Off the radar, for sure. <laughs> um, look, I'm excited by the next one, Tom. Ooh, it's it's okay. Kylie Minogue. Yes. Um, you might say, why are we excited? Because four weeks of this, this is confide in me, Tom, and I'm mm. excited by this because... Look, we've shat on Kylie in the past. We have. Every single song that Kylie's released thus far that's gone to number one, we've shat on because but that's not entirely because they've all fault. they've all been awful. They've all been completely yep. terrible, and that's because of Stockade and Waterman mm. just writing shitty songs in ten minutes yep. by their own admission, and not the just writing, production. producing, directing, <laughs> doing every other aspect of it, managing for her. Like you know, they controlled her image. They can yeah, they and, controlled everything. And yes, here we go, nineteen ninety four. And dare I say, Tom, for a, for a sort of, I think this is a pop song, but there's a lot happening here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, this is very good. I like this one. It's excellent. I was looking through the reviews for this at the time, and yep. at the time it got great reviews, and looking back, several people said that they reckoned this might be the best song of her the whole career. Yep. Like, it's, it's very good. It is a real, really good pop song. Oh, for sure. I completely agree. I think this And is... also, like you say, sorry, uh, when you add on to that, the fact that this is the start of her turnaround, at least in the charts, like from shitty pop disposable yep. songstress to pe- musician that people actually take half seriously, you know, like yep. someone with a bit of credibility. Like... Look, it's a lot darker, I think, from a musical point of view. So, well, mm. sort of darker in the sense that it's not sort of like, oh, I should be so lucky, that sort of bullshit. Yes. So it's sort of like a bit of a... Um, it's slower. Slower. It's uh, kind musically, of... there's a lot happening. There's yes, sort of like, there is. There's, there's, there's uh, uh, do, some... Do you mind if I... Yeah, go for it, Tom. Go, go, go. Uh, this was written and produced by Steve Anderson, Dave Seaman, Owen Barton and Alan Bremner. Um this is a new anagram I've developed called uh, Fogey Neho, 
which is a new industry standard <laughs> that stands for four white guys you've never heard of who they Fogie Neho pop up an awful lot, especially among women, especially among black women. But anyway, these guys were pretty good. They remixed and produced for M People, Seal, Janet Jackson, New Order, Pet Shop Boys, Garbage, Placebo, Alanis, etc. And that explains, I think, how, sorry, what you were saying before, how Kylie's sound suddenly switches from sort of shithouse, rickroll, stock-aching, watering can, novelty dance pop to this kind of smoky, Middle East-tinged, trip-hop yeah. Yeah, jam yeah. sort of thing. Like like you say, there's more than one thing going. It's not, doesn't just, Kylie did the vocals in one take. Wow. That's what they used on the record. And it's pretty fucking rad. This is much closer to something like Portishead. Yeah, agreed. Compared to their own music. And Portishead's big album only came out this year. Yeah. Like the, their first album only came out this year. So this was kind of on the edge. And then you throw in like, sorry, what were you going to say? There's like other musical styles in here too. Yeah. Like it's not just that. Like it's kind of, yeah, there's other shit going on too. Absolutely. Look, I think musically this is uh, probably as good as Kylie got. Um, just from the production point of view, but not, yeah, as you mentioned, yes. that's the sort of people that were involved in I'm this. I'm just talking about production. It's, it's, it's a very good song. Um, and the music video is great because mm. it features six different Kylies. Yes. It's, con- it's confined in me. So it's sort of like it, the video clip has this sort of like um, it's hard to understand what we're talking about in 2021, but back in 1994, um, like a hotline, like a late night, you're watching TV. Yes. There's like a hotline comes sort up. Of call me. Screens divided into call, six. Call and, me yeah. if if you're at home alone. You know, these days if kids are home alone on a Friday night, they can just jump on the internet and do anything, yep. whatever they want to do. <laughs> but back then, it's like I need to call. You know, call up someone. It's going to be sexy talk or whatever. You mm. know. I don't know what that involves. That's <laughs> one of the Kylie's. <laughs> so the six different Kylie's on the Confide in Me hotline. One's the girl next door. One sort of the sexy Kylie. Yep. Uh, there's a raver. There's a femme fatale, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, it looks like someone that's Cammy from Street Fighter 2. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. And then there's one promoting the Kylie Minogue at home range of bedspreads and towels. So you get the full range of the Kylies on there, which is uh, fantastic. Great video clip to match this great song. Really enjoyed that. Um, It's great. I think everything about it is great. But Tom, um, you've often said to me that you really wish (laughs) that someone had done a new metal cover of this back in the day. You you often... Yes, I mean, if possible, Jada Pinkett Smith, but you know, um, of if course, given that, I'll, course, take, I'll take someone else if she's I, I not think, available. Yeah, I mean, you've often said, you know, we've we've been in cars before, we've been at the IGA <laughs> getting eggs, you know, this song has come on, you've said, this is great, but I wish someone had done a new metal cover, but Tom, i done some research, jumped on the internet, checked it out, and it turns out that uh, this did happen back in the day. An Australian artist um, by the name of Naked Heart did a cover of this in 2003 um, that is uh, in the new metal style. There's a sort of, um, there's like Jonathan Davis from Corn style. Part in the middle, um, which is great. Um, so if you want to hear, if you sort of listen to this song and go, I love Kylie, I love Confide in Me, mm. great song, but I want to hear this done in like a new metal sort of rapper. It's yes. like sort of, Awful tuned down. Five seconds of piss. I want some scratching, scratching in, in there. The I want the guitars tuned down eight steps for no apparent reason. Um, then check out Naked Heart on YouTube that does this. Um, 
I had listened to a few of their other songs. Mm-hmm. Tom, they're all terrible, so <laughs> don't worry about it because I did that. It actually makes that new that Vanilla Ice new metal album sound very good, <laughs> so that's how bad this is. But sure. go check it out because it is a fucking disgrace to Kylie and I feel like that they're sort of shitting on her mm. in, in, in some ways. It's so bad. I can see why people would want to cover this though. It's oh, a kind of fun definitely. thing that you could... Have a crack at, but yep. yeah, maybe not via new metal. No, definitely yeah. not. Definitely not. Um, lyrical highlights? Uh, well, frustratingly, they're kind of good enough and sort of ambiguous enough that they don't really offer a lot of, uh, yep. you know, footy. And also, she didn't write them. We've but, all yeah. been hurt before. Yes, <laughs> they're kind of ambivalent, but yeah, it's sort of hard to, like, well... I stand in the distance, I view from afar, should I offer some assistance, should it matter who you are? Like, I'm not 100% sure what that means, but you know it's pretty good. Like, it's not, it's it's interesting enough to, there's the stick or twist, the choice is yours, hit or miss, what's mine is yours. I, again, don't yep. know what that means. I'm not even sure whether that's directed at a potential partner or whether she's, you know, looking she, up at the Was she dating? Was this sort of like the, uh, the, the Nick, Nick Cave Hutchins. era or Michael Hutchins I think era? It or? might have been the, it's pre Nick Cave, yep. I think. He came a bit, the murder balance came later. Okay. This might have been, I Hutchins, I was, Michael Hutchins era. Hutchins. I was trying to watch, uh, like, sorry, uh, I was watching the video, as you're saying, and yep. I was trying to remember which came first because I remember at this time the British tabloids and the Australian tabloids then by, you know, by logical extension would talk about the different Kylie's, you know, mm. like sex Kylie or dance Kylie or whatever because she kept changing her image, which yep. is what they're commenting on in that video. They're yep. sort of, you know, po- it's a postmodern comment on the different images that you sort of have. But I was trying to remember whether this video was first and that led yeah, to okay. encourage people to do that or whether this was a comment on that. But that started when she was going out with Michael Hutchins because that's when she started being all sexy in public and dressing up. It was the, this happens in about two years now with a 14-year-old who then decides they want to make their image, you know, cast off their mouseketeer image when Miley Cyrus starts wearing arseless chaps and talking about how she wants to be sexy. But in those days, it took years for that to happen. (laughs) Like with Kylie, she sort of, she had this kind of virginal, Silly, you know, girly image, and then she was sexy for a bit, and blah blah blah. Anyway, absolutely. But yeah, I think that was around this time. So I'm saying that this was around the uh, Michael Hutchins era, which was not long before he was out the door. Um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Look, that's that's good uh, to know Sorry, who she was, was banging. Way at that. too long answer. No, for look, that. look. I think. <laughs> I think. I think, you know, it, it's important to know who produced the songs and who Kylie was banging at the time to sort of get a fair sort well, of... Well, that's right. I mean, definite. everybody knows the only interesting thing about a woman is who she's rooting. Who she's so. rooting, exactly <laughs> right. And that's, you know, the press has only seemed to care about Kylie's sort of yes. boyfriends for like 30 years and why she isn't married and why she doesn't have children. <laughs> so I think we should probably just go into that. But personally, I'm more interested in her music and her bed sort of spread range so especially (laughs) this song um, which is I think definitely her best I'm going to call it now Um, I think Kylie will probably pop up later she's got a lot more hits but um, yes and and I'm not saying she's going downhill from here like this is the high watermark no she had another sort of resurgence about a decade later like low key she was kind of like a low key Madonna she would sort of disappear for a bit and then come back with 
another uh, little yeah. hero. I think she's period. such a sort of um, she's such a personality, and people really enjoy her work so much that I think she yes. can just sort of she doesn't have to sort of release something every well, three minutes. Like Madonna as well, she has a knack for picking good people to work with. Of course, you know who who keep reinventing her and yeah, definitely. Like as long as you've got people that are writing good songs, then I'm sure she can put some vocals on top, and it's she'll have a, more hits in the future. I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't doubt that that's going to keep on coming. So. Good on Kylie, 7.5 mil on Spotify. Good on you, yep. Australia. Yes, support. Well <laughs> yes. done. I feel I feel Go like I feel like it's nice to sort of see one yeah, someone from Australia doing is. well. It's so nice to see the odd Aussie Absolutely. The Australian fucking shirts. A dollar yeah. twenty-five. Um, yeah. that's a deal. Pick that, that up. Deal, Go and yeah. buy it. Get get that. Get one for you, We've one for your friend. Hit. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, 15th of October, next song for two weeks. Boys to men, I'll make love to you. Look, um, this isn't for me, Tom. I always thought it was pretty boring. Are it's you into this? Are you not feeling for this? me, Ben. Look, as far as I'm concerned, R&B stands for rubbing and ball sacks, Ben. I, Absolutely. I, I warned you that this would happen. I told you that if you forced the Ghostbusters to open the big red shithouse R&B ballad containment tank, that this would happen. Now there's four-part harmony groups loose all over the radio, ear-fucking you without warning or consent at all times of the day and night. You know, yeah. look, I, all I can say is that you should follow Bobby Brown's advice, put your proton pack on your back, and for fuck's sake, don't go near a jacuzzi because there's four black guys in there in casual knitwear, yeah. and they're horny. Absolutely. They are very horny. <laughs> oh, yeah, without doubt. Look, this was number one for 14 weeks in the US, oh, which is a long God, time. I'm glad that we spared for two weeks. Um, look, th- I'm pretty bored by this. Uh, I don't, I couldn't, I sort of watched the music video. I struggled to get through this one time. I can't, re- I can't <laughs> imagine everyone what I was saying. The last time they were in the charts, time. it's incredible how long four minutes can seem. Yeah, it sounds it's like It's unbelievable so. how long it oh, can look, be. Oh, look, apparently these guys, to get their break, um, they went backstage at a show. Um, they thought they were going to run into Will Smith, apparently. They were hoping they'd mm-hmm. see him, but instead they ran into uh, Belle Biv DeVoe. Mm. Um, they sung a song to them and Belle Biv DeVoe were like, yeah, I'm impressed by that. And they signed them. So we have Belle Biv DeVoe and by extension, mm. new edition to blame for this. So if, if they didn't sign them, maybe these guys would still be performing in like a subway somewhere because mm. all the shit they've done, I'm pretty bored as hell. You know, I'm hating this to be honest. I don't say this lightly, Ben, but I just lost a lot of respect for Belle Biv DeVoe. Yes. <laughs> So did I. <laughs> Absolutely. I used to, um, what was that song I had? Was it called Doomy, I think? So, which was sexy as hell. But yeah, I've lost a lot of respect for those guys. Look, um, Philadelphia, these guys are from Philly and people love them. Mm. Um, there's a part of uh, Broad Street in Philadelphia uh, okay, sure. that's been renamed Boys to Men Boulevard. I think it's the greasiest street in town. Been, uh... I we, we, I I'd like to own an apartment on Boys <laughs> to Men Boulevard. I think it sounds pretty sexy. It's sort of like where do you live? Boys to Men Boulevard. Mm, I think that's that's pretty mm, hot. Doorbell so. goes off at two a.m. Oh, absolutely. You'd be yeah. Your wife's yelling. If it's another person saying that they'll make love to me then just tell them to fuck off <laughs> exactly. or sleep get at it yeah you're right it could be quite annoying it could sort of um, yeah have that sort of effect where people just sort of ring the doorbell and run away mm. like, ah, boys to men so. you turn on the taps just 
foamy secondhand jacuzzi water comes out. Oh, no doubt. Does this have any lyrical highlights or <laughs> it's got nothing? This was written by an entity calling itself Babyface, uh, uh, Baby who Face, is responsible yep. for some of the shittest music of the last 30 years, including <laughs> right up to the present, including Ariana Grande, More Boys to Men, Usher, Chris Not in Jail for Some Reason Brown, Fallout Boy, Mariah Carey, and a song called Blueberry Fago for some cunt called Little Mosey. Now, maybe you're thinking, hey, Tom, stop being so white. This guy won 11 Grammys. Okay, we'll wrap your listening gear around this vanilla dog shit. I'll make love to you like you want me to, as opposed to just raping her, I guess. And I'll hold you tight, baby, all through the night. As we've discussed, nobody wants that. Also, night and tight are a tie for shittest rhymes of all time, yeah. along with love and above. There's no excuse for that. And that's the chorus, so get ready to hear that 47 times because it's coming back. <laughs> it's coming back a lot. You hear that all the time. And as you said, no one wants to get banged for an entire evening. That's insane. And yeah, the sort of the fact that they have to say, like you want me to, just mm. seems a bit weird. Mm. Um, fuck these guys. That sucks. You know what, Tom? I renege my previous statement about wanting to live on Boys to Men and Boulevard. <laughs> I said I would buy a house on Boys to Men Boulevard. I take that back because you've just informed me that, yeah, these lyrics are terrible. No one wants to live there. And it's Philadelphia. I don't want to sort of live in Philadelphia. I don't know. It sounds sort of shitty. Mm. I think most of them, I don't think there's... I had a is Philly cheesesteak once. Yeah. It's look, like they've figured out how to put cheese on some meat. Put some I cheese mean, on well the meat. That's fine. Yeah, Congratulations. Well I don't. Re- I don't really know whether there's any American city I would. I would necessarily move to by choice. Tom, is there anywhere you'd, you'd live? Or? Oh, look, I'm not crapping on America. I'm no. just saying. No, no, either of all I. the places you could go, I don't think I would live on Boys to Men Boulevard. Boys to no, not at all, not at all. Definitely, um, I'd live on uh, MC Hammer Avenue if given the <laughs> chance. But I don't really know. Does that exist? That's um, true. Colour me bad court. I'd probably live there I as well. You can get your kicks on Route 66. <laughs> well, that's what I'm I hear. Sure, I, I know hear. what that means, but I hear uh, Putin is a big fan of that song for some oh, reason. Is so, he, you know. love that. I love it. If, if Putin loves it, I love it, Tom. <laughs> that's sort of my sort oh, of. Well, maybe run. I'm thinking of Blueberry Hill. Look, on the record, um, yeah, because I know that Putin's a big fan of the podcast, so. Um, <laughs> Power to you, sir, and continue on with your I think he's also endeavors. a big fan of taco. <laughs> he's down the on the Ritz. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move What's on. up next? 4.4 4 mil, 16 cents. 16 cents, that's a rip-off. Do not buy that. Oh, up next, Australia Tom. Again. Australia yeah. It is Silverchair tomorrow. Don't wait that long, Ben. Why, uh, wait, wait till tomorrow, Tom. <laughs> now, look... This is fantastic, um, just because of the fact that I think these dudes are like fourteen or fit, like they, yes. were, they were literal teenagers yes. when this came out. It was out. a Hanson situation. So power to them for being kids mm-hmm. that were probably not much older than I was at this stage. That had this sort of high school band mm. that were able to write songs yes. that were of a quality that a record label decided to sign them, and then they ended up having a number one hit in Australia when. They're, they're children. And mm. another thing I enjoy about Silverchair is that I believe when they were signed by their record label, the dude said, I will take you out to dinner anywhere you guys want to go mm-hmm. so that we can chat and sign the record deal. Those guys said, 
straight to KFC. Uh, Boom. Yeah, very Australian. That's pretty very sick. Very teenage. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking if I was 14, the dude, I'd, I'd be going straight for that fucking three-piece feed. Mm-hmm. And the dude's like, 100%. you can get a bucket. You can get whatever you want. Hot and spicy, wicked wings, whatever the fuck you want, it is all yours. Now, that's fries. For sure. Now, look, Silverchair, I think the, the problem is though, Tom, like, love these guys for the fact that they were kids, they do that. Silverchair, mm-hmm. um, as a band name, it's it's dog shit. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's, great. it's absolutely terrible. Um, the original band name was The Innocent Criminals. Yep. That's probably worse, I think. The Silverchair's That's not great. That's actually Ben Harper's band. Yeah, exactly. It's called The Innocent Criminals. For sure. Yeah, so they're equally bad. Uh, yeah. Pretty bad. And, and Ben Harper's a fucking adult. So these, mm, at least these true. kids were children yes, at this true. stage. So, and apparently, look, from what I heard, um, the name was put together because their favourite songs at the time yep. when they were youngsters was um, Sliver by Nirvana and Berlin Chair... Uh, by UMI, yeah. another Australian band. So they put together Sliver and Chair to make Silver. Sliver, it's not quite yep. right, but Silver Chair. So, um, and that's 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 good. You know, I think it's good to sort of take your favourite song from from one band, mm-hmm. a favourite song from another, put them together to make a name. That's interesting. I sort of enjoy that. But I guess it's fortunate their favourite Nirvana song wasn't Rape Me, as I guess the band would probably <laughs> be known as Rape Chair. Mm. And I don't think they would have been quite <laughs> as successful if it's like, what's your band name? Rape chair probably not going to mm. work. I don't really know. Yeah. Maybe it would have been popular. I don't H- know. Hold up, there, ben. hold yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. When when were you going to tell me? Yeah. Like how long did you think you could keep this from our audience? Mm. So many aliases: Boner Storm, Art yep. of Seduction, John Bone Jovi. <laughs> when exactly were you planning to reveal that you played drums on one of the biggest hits of the nineties? That's true. Can we? Do you think we wouldn't see you up back? Were you planning to wait till tomorrow? I was planning to wait till tomorrow. My name, yeah, that's that's correct. My, I, I do have the same name as the drummer from Silverchair. So, um, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not the drummer from Silverchair. You're exactly the right age. I'm exactly the right age. Um, He's bald. Yeah, you're I'm, bald. I'm not from Newcastle though, so I don't think we're the same. But I, I, I have... Look, Tom, I will admit that I have signed a CD before. Someone said, are you the drummer from Silverchair? And I, I went, no, I'm not. And I went, yes, you are. And I have. I definitely... So there's someone out there with a signed copy of Frog Stomp that I've signed that is um, a fake signature. So, you know, hopefully... I really hope someone hasn't bought a copy of Frog Stomp off eBay with my signature. That's not a real signature. But look, alas, it's okay. Look, I think, Tom... Um, Lyrics of this song, everyone is familiar with. Yes. There's no bathroom and there is no sink. The water from the tap is very hard to drink. Very hard to drink. Wait till tomorrow, fat boy. Now, look, great lyrics. Um, I don't really know about the <laughs> sink and the water, you know. Yeah, but it was always a mystery. Oh, it's very, very mysterious, look. But um, the thing is, that what I find interesting as well is that, like, you sort of, um, I, I've, Listen to a few interviews with, with Daniel Johns recently because he's sort of, he's one of those dudes that um, sort of has definitely shied away from the spotlight a lot, I think, mm. probably in recent years. He's, I just assume that Silverchair made so much money from this sort of period of time that he's just, he doesn't have to work anymore. I gather yeah. that's the case. Um, where he's just sort of like, I don't need to do anything anymore because, you know, they, they're I young kids, so. they wrote all their songs. They sold a lot of yeah, records and all that stuff. So I think he probably just doesn't have to do much anymore. They were an days. actual band. They yeah, were exactly. Not, they weren't like, they were neither a Hanson style sort of family 
no. group like funded by their parents, nor were they a sort of East Seventeen style constructed band like put together. They they were a real band. Just they literal just happened friends, to be in the right place friends. at the right time. Imagine where this your sound was very much in demand. Well, and, definitely. Yeah. Imagine your high school. Yeah, you're right because this is this is literally right on. Po- like Kurt Cobain's immediately died, post, post grunge. grunge, so grunge yep. has sort of happened, and everyone's looking in for that sort of, of grunge. Rock, yes, yeah, exactly. The next sound, rock, rock, like sort of heavyish guitar sound, mm-hmm. sort of singing dudes. Yeah. Post grunge, yeah. So these guys, they're young kids. They're doing this right at the exact right time, and you know, they're obviously writing songs that were good enough that people went, yeah, let's get these guys. Yes. A record label do that, fantastic. And um, interestingly, though, sort of. Just watching, sort of, as I yeah, mentioned Daniel Jones recently, um, he said, quote, everyone in any band, no matter how good or how cool they believe to be, has got some sort of dark high school band skeleton in their closet. <laughs> I guarantee you, sorry, he actually said, I fucking guarantee you. <laughs> It's just that our sold five million records is supposed to be a secret. So, and, and I guess that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Sort of, yeah. you look at any popular musician today that's yep. a million, they probably had a shitty high school band yep. that sucked and then they yeah. sort of moved on from that and did something else and then eventually they became a big band. But it's just that Daniel Johns is right. It's just that his yeah. high school band, you know, ended up selling all these albums. Yeah. So by the time that he's sort of, 20 and sort of doing the yep. sort of stuff he wants to do he's probably looking back and going oh shit I can't believe yeah, those I'm already so, embarrassed yeah so we thing. laugh at these shitty lyrics but you got to remember he was like probably 12 yeah. or 13 when he wrote these sort of the water's too hard to drink lyrics That's or whatever right. so like he's pretty cool though really Daniel I, I think he is yeah I always thought especially get what getting older and watching him get older too because I wasn't that much older than these guys in this band like it was kind of a nice coincidence that they had this bullshit novelty success at the start. Not novelty, but like this kind of... There was an element of novelty to the fact that they were so young. That oh, was, absolutely. That was and that they were the same age as a lot of their audience and so forth. But that he turned out to be a really cool, sort of musically interesting, self-aware dude. Oh, instead yeah. of being either a, some sort of deluded egomaniac, uh, some sort of drug-fucked child actor type idiot yep. or just turned into a real estate agent with an interesting past you know who was on this record <laughs> who occasionally gets recognised once every six months oh weren't you that guy from, you that'd know, be like, the worst fact, career trajectory yes. imagine that guy I'm, I'm selling houses in on the fucking Mornington yeah. Peninsula but and I used to be in Silverchair someone keeps asking you weren't you that guy in Kajagoogoo yeah. <laughs> like no, no he actually turned out to be a really cool guy and as I you say so. I reckon all of them probably made enough money from this to couple not, of years around here to never have to work that absolutely. hard absolutely you know. and I think that's the sickest thing you can do you can start a band when you're 15 you sell heaps of records by the time you're 30 it's like I don't have to do anything mm-hmm. ever again for the that's rest right. of my life I can just release, power to them uh, you know. and I guarantee you if they just went oh look I actually need a little slight cash injection they could get back together play Oh, Half a sure. dozen shows, and that would be that'd get them through for another five years. So good on them. So yeah. So I guess probably most people know their background. Sort of, they won a demo comp uh, on an SBS show oh, yeah. called Nomad back in 1994. Um, the demo version of this song was six and a half minutes long, and it's fucking way too long and a yep. bit of shit. <laughs> obviously, I listened to it and it's like holy shit. But they were like, I think they were thirteen when they recorded it. Yeah. 
So someone obviously that's said, great, eh? that's great. Let's just take that, just trim the fat a bit, got it to this song, release that. Yep. Um, as I said, massive respect for penning a number one when they were 13. Um, they released five albums across their career. Every single one of them debuted at number one in Australia. Well They've done. won 21 Arias, which mm-hmm. is pretty good, which is the most ever by any uh, band. No Highest selling single of the year in Australia, this one was, and the most played song on American rock radio wow. at the time. Yep. Uh, it sold 4 million copies worldwide, and it was the first Australian, um, I think, top 10 US album since In Excess. Wow. So, so they did a lot. In that sort of small amount yeah. of time when oh, they were teenagers, yeah. yeah um, unfortunately, in 1996, a murder trial, a defendant claimed that they'd uh, listened to the Silverchair song off this album, uh, Israel's Son, and that made them kill. What is well, that? Is that a good enough defense saying I listened to? That's weak as hell. It sounds lame. Uh, not it sounds it doesn't sound lame. It sounds depressing, but. I think one of the hallmarks of true American success is that some fuckstick claims that you told him to kill someone, you know, yep. or your name becomes attached to a prominent mass shooting of some kind. Absolutely. You can't be really famous in America, you know, for sure. that happening. But yeah, I mean, but I mean, some people say it's a crazy argument, but I should mention, you know, I did say before this episode, Tom, that I did have to go to court for a disorderly conduct charge. <laughs> um, I, when I went there, my defense was that I had listened to M People One Night in Heaven. Mm, uh, and the judge it. said, that that's fine. It. Okay, that'll do it to you. You're out. So it worked for me. It doesn't work for everyone. So yeah. look, um, the... Music video, they made one um, for the Australian market back when they yeah, just I won remember this. Yeah, I Very lo-fi. Very yeah. lo-fi. Then they released another one for, for the US market. And this featured <laughs> a dude dressed as a pig in a bath. And then he was just sitting, like laying down in a pile of coins. What does that mean? What's a pile <laughs> of coins me. mean? They might have been slightly flummoxed by the fact that no one knew what the fucking lyrics meant, <laughs> no, including exactly apparently the band. <laughs> exactly, no one knew what it was about. But look, it's interesting. So, as we mentioned, sort of the band had a you know really big career, I guess, from yeah. 1994 through to, the, I guess, the early Up 2000s. To the millennium, yeah. Yeah, right. and then they sort of had a bit of a break, came back, and then released an album, um, sort of, I think, 2007 or eight, in a in a quite a different style, yeah. like sort of a very like less rock guitars um, more of a different sort of thing um, a lot more sort of I think it sounds like they've had some like Beatles-ish influences yeah. and different stuff he got and, a much less rocky as he went yeah. along and more that that sort of thing yeah for sure and then since then as I mentioned they've been in a break but I think they've sort of Daniel Johns has done some released a solo album he and did, has like a different album he different did band two so. fun albums with uh, that DJ Paul Mack yeah, what were they called? The something. I can't believe this is not rock or something. No, they were called like the collectors or the oh, okay. Coll- the dissociative. The dissociative. Yeah. yeah, there were two albums from that, which again had that slight sort of Beatles-ish Absolutely, sound yeah. to it. But it showed that he was quite, you know, that he could do other stuff. Look, and, I think he's yeah. just a very good songwriter, no matter what style yeah. he sort of puts his like hands on. Like I said, I, get older and... I can't tell whether he got into that position by virtue of his prodigious talent or whether it just happened that they wrote this catchy ass couple of songs and then he turned out to be actually quite talented on top well, of that, it. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. Like, was he just sort of like a teenager doing some stuff that got popular that and, got then it, and then he, and and then then he yeah. ended up being a good song? Yeah, it's, it's hard Who to knows? say, but yeah, look, 
power to him. Like I mean, I think, say what you like. I haven't heard a lot of stuff from Hanson recently. No, exactly. You know. Look, he's a talented dude. Massive respect to Daniel Johns. Um, but look, one of the things I will point out, Tom, is, and I don't love to, you know, I like to look, focus on the positives of people's mm. career and this sort of thing. I don't want to look at the negatives. But And this isn't a negative on Daniel Johns at all, but I feel like that sort of people look at celebrity and try and drag them, you know, into the mud, so to speak, yep. I guess. So recently, um, Daniel Johns, he was in the news because he sued the, uh, the, the Sunday Telegraph because that newspaper claimed that he was spending up to 18 hours a day in the castle... Uh, a brothel <laughs> in uh, Sydney. Sure. And he denied that. He said, look, I've never been there before in my life. Um, he didn't even know it existed. And he won the case. Apparently, the, the brothel madam came <laughs> came out and said, I've never seen this guy before in my life. It's complete bullshit. Good. So it didn't even exist. So he sh- sued those guys and won, which is great, Like because mm-hmm. you know I'm tired of these fucking tabloid dudes coming out and just attacking anyone. So... He won that case, which is fantastic. Look, um, interestingly, Tom, the castle apparently specialised in brown showers <laughs> and adult babies. Mm. Now, Tom, I don't know exactly what a brown shower is, but I imagine that the water from the tap is very hard to drink. <laughs> very hard to drink! <laughs> that's right. Look, we don't do a lot of jokes. That, that's a, I, I tried to do a joke. I don't. We don't do a lot of jokes in this show. It's not a comedy show. It's a serious show. I tried to do... Mm. Was that, a, was that an okay joke? Look, I, I, to, I think you're right. Thanks. There's, I tried to do a joke. Hopefully we, there was a bathroom and hopefully there was a sink <laughs> in the castle. Whatever's yeah. going on there. I hope so, yeah. We've tried to... So what? Uh, if, yeah. you don't, if you don't understand what I've done there, <laughs> we've taken the lyrics from the Silver Chair song and we've tried to <laughs> yeah. make a joke from that, from the brown shower <laughs> thing. So I hope people understand what we've tried to do there. So it was good. Um, ben Gillies... Yes. Who's the drummer of the band. Uh, his wife is a psychic. Ah, uh, okay. Apparently, she's one of Australia's most popular psychics. Mm. Um, where she charges an insane amount of money um, for people to meet her. And then they'll sort of... She'll say like, oh, your granddad said he likes your dress or something. I hope she is passes that a scam? some of the money onto you. <laughs> I, so. I mean, sorry, onto Ben Gillies <laughs> from this band. Is, um, is, is being a psychic, um, is that, is that like, should the ACCC be investigated? Like, is that, that's a scam, right? That's a, that's a legit sort of like, not a real thing. Well, I could say the thing that I always say about the psychics when you flip to the back of a women's magazine and the last 20 pages of it are just, just psychic um, ads, yeah. Gray, black and white pages for endless psychics. If yeah. you had the ability to predict the future and or see into the thoughts of another human being, why would you be getting your money 60 cents per minute at a time sitting in front of a telephone waiting for it to ring? It's a fair point, Tom. But, I think uh, if I could predict the future, I'd be sort of looking in there and going, um, what CD single will be selling for mm, the most money on Discogs? Yes. In 2040, and then I'd be stockpiling them now, yes, and then just waiting, and then in 20 years' exactly. time, just unloading them and going, fucking hell, I'm making a lot of money. One, so look, one more bit of uh, Daniel John's related thing, yeah. Uh, per your Sunday Telegraph slash Castle with a K <laughs> brothel related thing, uh, shortly after that, he got into trouble for offhandedly saying that in a radio interview that he'd gone to Bono's house with his wife 
then wife Natalie Imbruglia, mm. uh, singer of Torn, famously, and they'd laid around on a bed smoking weed and listening to U2 demos with Bono and Peter Garrett from Midnight yep. Oil. Uh, Peter Garrett was an MP at this point. Oh, and no. so Peter Costello, the same tedious fuckstick who was laughing about the concept of Aboriginal land rights earlier, uh, tried to make a big noise about it, but nobody gave a shit. Um, in case you haven't heard, the Australian news media is largely fucked. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, look, that's, that's pretty annoying. Like, I think that um, it's funny that when your point of view is that by outing a politician as hanging out with popular musicians who may mm. be smoking marijuana. Or smoking something that's basically legal. It's a way point. of sort of saying, look at how irresponsible. It shows how out of touch you are because yes. I think most Once people would again. just look at that and just be like, <laughs> that sounds wait, awesome. you're a fucking idiot <laughs> and this guy's hanging out with Daniel Johns and Bono. Like, you know, whether you love them or hate them, at least he's sort of someone that's sort of on the, the, mm. the fringes or at least hanging out with, you know, people that others respect, you know, yes, so, or exactly. at least have some interest in. So, yeah, look, Peter, Peter Costello, um, is that guy dead yet? I hope so. Oh, I don't really know. Whatever. So, look, two mil on the Spotify oh, yeah. for, for these guys. Um, 32 cents for the US single, two bucks for the Australian one. So, uh, in, interestingly... Yes. I'm sure nobody yeah, predicted that would they be. They released this in Australia... And yeah, it was a big hit, it and then it came, and then they released, re-released it in the US, and I think it may have even been re, um, not re-recorded, but remastered or yeah. remixed or something. It um, is very, it's new, very new basic. That whole first album, when you listen to it now, it's. I mean, I wouldn't say it sounds like it's written by some fifteen-year-olds, but it kind of does. Like, it's, yeah, absolutely. it's very simple, and but like that doesn't mean it's not effective. It just means no. it's uh, yeah. Look, it was super powerful. Um, I saw Silver Chair at the Silver Dome. <laughs> at some stage in the past I believe the Silverdome I can't crop, remember crop up again exactly before the end was, of yep. the year but saw, right. saw them at Silverdome good stuff um, how did you sure. drum how was the show I mean was, sorry was how did uh, was, was, how did Ben Gillies go it was very very good so um, <laughs> did his wife predict that it was going to be a big hit she predicted it would be massive and it was so <laughs> it was a good time so look that was great um, I, I think we'll probably talk about these guys again later um, sure. at some stage in the future um, up next, Cheryl Crow, all I want to do mm. is have some fun. Now, Catchy. Tom, all I want to do is have some fun. <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, I think as lyrics, it's very, very interesting. Yes. Well, yes, <laughs> this was adapted from a poem. Yeah. A 1987 poem, so nearly 10 years old at this point, yep. uh, called Fun by Wynn Cooper which is fucking rad, I will say, personally. Yep. Uh, these lyrics are about 90% straight from the poem, and it's naturally a very sort of musical, lyrical flow of words. It's a very simple, straightforward, not very obtuse poem. The narrator the narrator is a man. What that means for the song, I leave up to you. But yep. props to Cheryl for adapting it. But um, as an adaptation of a poem, it rules. I mean... Can't yeah, get definitely. wrong with that. Good work, dude, and good work, Cheryl. Look, I think you're right. Um, so certainly, uh, lyrically, yep, ad- you know, poem adaptation, have you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is off her debut album, which is called Tuesday Night Music Club. Mm-hmm. Um, so she released this when she was 31. Yep. So power to her, because I know a lot <laughs> of people sort of go, fucking hell, I'm 23, I haven't made it, I'm going to retire. But she kept on powering on, got a record deal, you know, album mm-hmm. 31, gave it up, never gave up, good on Tuesday Night Music Club, um, 
name of the album. That was a group of people that she sort of got together with to jam on Tuesdays in LA. So it's sort of it's very literal sort of name. She thanked them when she won a Grammy, but many thought they didn't give her enough credit, especially for the songs which came out of the sessions. So everyone got together, jammed jammed out the songs. She recorded them, released them, but they all those that were involved in the writing all got sort of uh, writing credits and royalties. So I assume that's credit enough, isn't it? So you know, fuck those guys. (laughs) Um, There's a line in the song called "We're All Drinking Beer at Noon on Tuesday," Uh, um, which sort of reflects what the Tuesday Night Music Club was all about. Um, they usually got together for drinks before trying to write the song so I can assume that when this song was written they were all fucked out of their minds yep. so could well be which is uh, pretty good this so, was uh, this was her biggest hit yep got to number two on the billboard charts number one in the UK and Canada and it worked out for the poet too William oh, yeah. Cooper um, the original run of his poetry book was 500 which is about how well poetry sells in <laughs> yeah. the 20th and 21st century. But after this, it was reprinted multiple times and he got a lot of royalties, which is good. I'm oh, glad sweet. he got uh, over this. Personally, I, I, I quite like this. I've got to admit, I'm a sucker for slide guitar and good lyrics. I let Ben, guitar- ben Harper get away with murder for years on that basis. <laughs> uh, I'm also a big fan of uh, Strong Enough from this album, which got to number five in the US and number three in Australia. And yeah... Absolutely. Look, um, at this time, I believe that, uh, well, not at this time, but subsequent to her success, uh, Cheryl Crow went on to date Eric Clapton, Wow, Owen Wilson, and Lance Armstrong. <laughs> so the question is, did she supply him with drugs or know <laughs> that he was on drugs? Is she complicit to his doping? Mm, mm. Did she just say, get in the bike, you're not fast enough, take these drugs? <laughs> That she probably got from Eric Clapton or Owen Wilson. What a mopey bunch of white guys. Yeah, look, I don't I know. Mean, I, I assume that she... She, is, she was kind of country, wasn't she? I suppose part of being country and a bit older in life is that you have terrible taste in men. I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Look, yeah, I don't really know. Not so, to blame her, but Jesus. Uh, so I think it's safe to say that she she supplied Lance Armstrong with the drugs <laughs> that he, he used to win his Tour de France's or whatever he did. So, um, look, she's probably should be in prison but apart from that this is a great song so forget the fact that she should be in prison it's a great mm-hmm. song um, she also did the theme for Tomorrow Never Dies she did indeed yes and she did a duet with Kid Rock well now, what is better Kid Rock duet Tomorrow Never Dies or this song <laughs> if you put them on a wheel and spun them around and just went or if you said I need to you know someone says to you Tom throw on some Cheryl Crow you're at a you're at a party Someone's like, oh, I love Cheryl. You're at a party. There's a girl that, you know, you're chatting to, you're attracted to, you know, you like her, she likes you, but she says to you, Tom, throw on a... I'd love to hear some (laughs) Cheryl Crow right now. What would you put on? Well, I probably wouldn't put on any of them. But yeah, likewise, if I was going out with a girl and she said, hey, chuck on a James Bond film, I certainly wouldn't put on Tomorrow Never Dies. You wouldn't? Or if she said, hey, who's your favourite obvious racist? I probably wouldn't even say Kid Rock off the top of my head. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, exactly. There's Um, better racists and more of them, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think what's interesting about this is that this album took a while to hit. Like, this wasn't even the first... Uh, hit off this album was it like a uh, uh, single I think she released yeah. a heap of uh, like from yeah looking at just the single release she released probably three 
or four singles before this, and none of them. So were it must popular. have been getting a bit desperate. Exactly. By that point. Yeah. Yeah. So this was this was the this was the first song that was a hit. But yeah, she'd certainly released the album, released three or four singles that didn't chart, first, so or didn't do well. So the this first was single off this album was Run Baby Run. Do you remember that? Oh, uh, don't. Run Baby Run. It's uh, like, it's just a kind of vaguely. Like, to listen, like, maybe it's hindsight, but listening to that and then listening to this, like, what kind of fucking moron would release three other songs before this off that album? Like, maybe there was just, people just weren't expecting it. When you compare this to something like, mm, yeah, yeah, which is a real weird left field, but nobody would have guessed that that would be, but this yeah. is catchy as fuck. Like, yeah, I think it's so. like a sort of sped up Tom's Diner. Like, it's just, it just makes you want to, you know, I, th- I think people sort, sort of, of groove around the room. There's yeah. certainly that uh, artist v record label. Yes. Um, there's often that discussion That's true. about Maybe what it wasn't is, her you know, what's yeah, the obvious true. single? People, oh, this yeah. was the obvious single, but then you do certainly hear. I mean, we talked about this before with Faith No More, where yeah. they said the record label said, "Look, we don't know anymore. Just what whatever song you want as the next single release and that." Then and then they chose down, Epic, yeah. and that was a big hit. I so yeah. she was very sort of country tinged at yeah. this point. I mean, she still is now, but like. It's kind of odd because, the, yeah, this is not particular. Aside from the sort of guitar sound and that sort of thing, this is not a very countryish song. Not really. No. So maybe that was the thing. Maybe they wanted something a bit more pop country, and they felt like this wasn't. This was too, you know, absolutely. Dancey-ish, yeah, maybe? yeah. I mean, it's hard to say, yeah. but look, this is like sort of. I think about the fourth single from this album, and it hit number one. So it seems ridiculous. Power in to. It's not just a decent song. It's a total earworm. Like, good luck getting the chorus of this out of your fucking head. Once oh, absolutely, you yeah, like, for sure. Reading for sure. the poem, like off the page, the song starts getting in your head. Yeah. Like just looking at the words written down. Oh, definitely, start going, definitely, yeah. definitely. So look, it, it is. It is one of those things you write where you look at and just go, why? Why didn't they figure this out earlier? But you know, I'm, I I can certainly remember as a yeah. kid, sort of buying albums and listening to them and going, so this is the single that they <laughs> released. But but you know, you sort of you go, but the best songs on this album are definitely this one and this one. So it's always sort of surprising where well, where the singles. We talked hit, about so. that thing before with things like um, oh God, there was a Michael Jackson song. There's Born Slippy and stuff, which were hit songs that weren't even on the album. They were B-sides to singles. Yeah. So not only have they not figured out which song to release off the album, but they've then accidentally had a hit with something that they didn't even think was good enough to go on the album. Oh, exactly. And yeah. they, oh, for sure. And then yeah. they have to re-release the album yeah. with the B-side yeah, like yeah. wedged in the middle of Where it. Where the so DJs like at the radio stations <laughs> went, oh, I'm playing that one instead. Yes, because that's, right, because it's that's better. better. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So look, yeah. that happens. Yeah, look, um, and we've got to, you can't forget that Sheryl Crow also did some acting work. Um, she was featured on Cop Rock. <laughs> which is one of the worst shows of all time. So congratulations. What if NCIS were a musical, though, Ben? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a lot of people probably don't know what Cop Rock is, but as you said, Tom, it is effectively that. Imagine a sort mm. of police procedural sort of let's solve a crime a week type scenario, yes. but it's a musical. Um, we found semen in the traces of the footwells. We found mm-hmm. semen in the traces of the footwells. <laughs> we found semen in the footwells. Uh, I've only watched one or two episodes, but it's it, I can't even fathom 
who approved that? It's ridiculous. It was so. a blank check for yeah, some. Definitely. It was a famous uh, writer that got a blank check, oh, okay. and that was a big dream project of his. And that's sometimes good, good. what happens with dream projects. Absolutely, they turn brown in the light of day. Now, have you got anything else for this one, Tom? Or oh, lyrically, um, yep. I, what I like about this is that it works either way depending on your mood. Yeah. Like the poem tilts gently in the direction of being about lyrics wise, being about freedom and escapism. Like it's sort of saying like, you know, we're drinking in a bar, people come and go, but the whole world is ours. You know, it doesn't matter. Whereas the song tilts slightly more in the direction of portraying someone whose good mood is covering up a life that's starting to fall apart. Yeah. yeah. Like you're drinking with strangers in a bar at noon. Um, and she has said in interviews that that's sort of what she was thinking okay, of. Okay, sort of more the latter. she yeah. was imagining. But uh, I think it's clever because I think day drinking is the perfect metaphor for that, mm. like that duality. Like if you've ever done it properly in a public place, like for instance, watching people in shirts and suits washing their cars, which is what she's doing out the window of the bar in the song, looking through the window of a bar with a frosty one in front of you, and the people washing their cars in shirts and suits look like pitiful robots who haven't discovered the secret to happiness yet. But if you then step outside five metres away into the blinding sunshine, suddenly you're now a half-pissed, wobbly loser on the street with bottle caps rattling in your pocket and the lady with the soapy BMW is giving you the stink eye in case you think about asking her for spare change or if she's got a cigarette yeah. that you can have. Like, that's the, that's the magical duality of being pissed at noon on a Tuesday. <laughs> and I think it gets at that quite well. On the one hand, you have total freedom. On the other hand, you're also kind of a loser as well. On the fringe of society, yeah, <laughs> yes. That's the bit. That's the problem with only wanting to have some fun. But absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's oh, look, move on. All I want to do, Thomas, have some fun. Though. I mean, I think she, you know, hit the nail on the head with that. So um, speaking of a totally riotous, carefree four, good time, four point nine mil. Oh yeah, on the still Spotify. doing Good right. work, Cheryl. That's great. Ten cents on that. That's fine. That's what I expect. I bet you probably. she's still touring. Oh, I hope so. Good. One only one week for that. So yep. Um, and then seventeenth of December for. Eight weeks, so that's going to take us to the end of the year biggest and straight into next year. year. Biggest song of the year. Um, the Cranberries, <sighs> Zombie. Now, Tom, the original name for the band was uh, the Cranberry-saurus. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what the Cranberries Who? <laughs> who would... Yeah, I mean, the Cranberries is like... I get it. You know, your cram- cranberries, expensive, but, overrated. but the, cram- the cranberry saw us. Yeah, who, uh, no idea what that means. No but look, idea. But look, Tom, this is a really big hit for their, for these guys. Um, and look, I think, you know, I don't think it's actually, I, think, I don't think it's a bad song because you've got to look at the context of what it's all about. Um, this is a protest song written in memory of um, two young victims of a bombing that occurred during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the bombing actually happened uh, in the UK. So um, Jonathan Ball, who was three at the time, and Tim Perry, who was 12, they were killed in this IRA bombing uh, in Northern England when devices were hidden in a bin and detonated and 56 people were injured. So obviously it's a very, that's sort of, I, I think, sort of the catalyst for the song. It's sort of a very serious sort of song. Um, but I guess that that's just sort of that specific incident. But the bigger picture is that uh, during the Troubles, you know, three and a half thousand people died in the UK wow. um, and, and Europe. Um, tens of thousands were injured, you know, over 30 years of sort of conflict. Um, 
the IRA were devoted to obviously removing British forces from Northern Ireland and unifying Ireland. And more than 10,000 bomb attacks occurred in Northern Ireland, Ireland and Great Britain in the time. And I think even we've seen in recent times, even now in, mm-hmm. in 2021, that sort of when for, for a period of time there was a lot of peace in Northern Ireland, um, but I think we're sort of seeing a recent resurgence in, in, in some of the, the, the conflicts that sort of uh, happen and there's some sort of, not to this sort of situation now where there's, where there's you know, things getting detonated and people dying, but certainly uh, mm-hmm. I think some of those tensions are resurging. So this song by the Cranberries as, as that band was, as an Irish band, was specifically about these sorts of things. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a very serious song. Yeah, um, I guess that gave it authenticity. Oh, absolutely. Know. And sort of the song features sort of, I think the band before this was sort of more of a folky sort of a, a oh, rock okay. sound, like. but this is sort of features a very heavy heavier guitar riff than I guess what they're sort of known for. Um, and I guess the song itself sort of attracted a bit of a, an alternative rock and probably even a sort of grunge sort of fans to the yep. mix that sort sure. of weren't really in there before. So obviously it sort of had their regular fan base, these sort of alt-rock grunge fans, etc., and sort of ended up with, with this song that had a very serious message about a very serious issue um, and reached number one. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, this happened a fair bit at the time. This in these the this year and the you know the last one, the next one, publishers were just desperate to jump on anything that had what they perceived to be a grunge sound. Silverchair mm. being an example. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. My favourite example, which my brother Ross pointed out to me, was that when the band Helmet, who aren't grunge at all, like I mean, how would you even describe them? Mm. They're a sort of cult. Jazz, noise, metal, <laughs> expressionist oddity. But yeah. they were in Seattle in 1992, so they got signed for like a couple of million dollars, which was a record at the time. So clearly someone just listened to them and gone, well, they're young, they're all dudes, they're in Seattle, they're heavy, they must be grunge. Then they made Meantime, yep. which wasn't the next Nevermind, but was better than the Cranberries. So, I mean, was the money wasted? Yeah, look, I think it's a fair assessment, Tom, that people were very keen to sign anything that was sort of, yeah, Helmet, you're right, sort of, they, they don't a really big fit list into any category, but they sort of, um, <laughs> that, yeah, you're right. I uh, saw a video the other day of Primus playing in a radio station in 1988. Okay. Like, Primus, <laughs> he's got, like, white dreads, playing, yeah. like, Tommy the Cat and stuff, and they sound the same as Primus yeah. sounded then, of like, wow, this is, like four years before Nevermind hit it big and these guys are doing it's not grunge but it's yeah. you know they got signed they got big around this they sort of got lumped in with that well it's heavy it's got guitars in it it's weird yeah. they're all young they've got long hair that they must be sort of I think that know. I think that once um, Nevermind was released and sold millions of copies any band that had a guitar in it that was sort of <laughs> releasing things that was slightly vaguely edgy-ish, yeah. you, there was a very good chance you get signed. But, but, and yeah, you're right. There's sort of big bands that ended up being very successful. Um, you know, you sort of like Pearl Jam type things. Yes. But then there was also a lot of bullshit that sort of ended yeah. up getting signed that went well, nowhere. for instance, I mean, I'm not sure if I'd necessarily call the Cranberries grunge, but I tell no. you what, if this was a... If this was sung by a kind of breathy Sinead O'Connor person on an acoustic guitar, even with an Irish accent, I very much doubt this would have spent eight weeks 
at number one. It oh, needed, no I reckon doubt. at this no time in this place, it needed that loud, it, ne- it needed the loud guitar yeah, sound, for sure. you know, with the big chorus that you know that lets. And I think that's it, Tom. Teenagers sort of, go off a bit. Yeah, that loud guitar certainly helped them get this song across. But I think the issue is, Tom, that a lot of people sort of heard heard the song and said, "Look, I love the loud guitar, but." the message is what's important. The sort of the talking about the troubles, about the people that have died, about that sort of situation. Mm. And um, Adam, uh, A-D-A-M, <laughs> um, an Italian band, uh, I believe, featuring Amy, they decided to cover the song um, in a Eurodance style. Oh, I see. And yeah. I assume that what they did is, I assume that Adam featuring Amy listened to the song and they said, we love the rock guitars, but the message is what's important. So we want to do this sort of, um, we want to bring the attention of domestic terrorism to people's attentions. We want to sort of, mm. you know, we want to sort of say to people, look, this is what's important. Domestic terrorism, you've got to be aware of this about the mm. people that have died, etc., etc." So they figured that the best way to do this was to, to cover the song and to deliver the message at uh, 180 beats per minute, Tom. Oh, and I think that's that's the best way to get mm. this specific message about domestic terrorism, about people dying across at 180 beats per minute. Uh, and they said, look, we need to release... The song itself, <laughs> Zombie, a cover of Zombie at 180 beats per minute is fantastic. It gets the message across. But to really crystallise that message and get it to as many people as possible we should release a music video that sort of shows people the whole situation of, you know, we, we want people to be aware of, uh, of the IRA about what they stand for, about what they're trying to achieve, about domestic terrorism. Mm-hmm. Are they in the right to run a unified island? Are they in the wrong? Are, is it a means to an end or is it, is it too much? Mm-hmm. So they, they released a music video, Tom, and the best way I think to get this message across for me personally, and Adam featuring Amy agreed, was to set the music video in a car wash. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So the the whole the message of domestic terrorism about people dying in IRA attacks in a car wash uh, was the way to go. Uh, the video clip starts off with, with uh, Amy, Adam featuring Amy. This is the Amy character, the Amy person. She's in the she's in the car. She's in. Going through the car wash, she's masturbating in the front seat of the car wash. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the guys in a, he, one of the other guys in ADM, he's in the boot. He leaps out of the boot. He jumps out of the boot. He's like, "Ah, oh, I'm in the boot. I've jumped out." One of the other guys is in the back seat. He's got no shirt on. He's playing a guitar riff. Sure. It's not. It's not the zombie riff. It's not the riff <laughs> you would know from the songs. He's just fucking doing whatever he sure, wants. He's just just, just doing what, shredding around. Uh, then there's another guy, the third guy, he's wearing a lime green outfit. <laughs> of his face is painted red mm-hmm. uh, and he's sticking his tongue out like going, ah, sticking his tongue out a lot. Sure. And I think that that, for my mind, really gets the message out about the IRA, the IRA yes. about what they've done, about people dying, especially the two children, a three-year-old and a 12-year-old. We can't forget that. <laughs> and I think Amy featuring, Adam featuring Amy, they really embraced that concept mm, of mm. let's get the message out about two children dying well, through look, that video clip. If that doesn't do it, I don't know what. Well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I, know I what else agree. you can say. I completely agree, Tom. Look, and, and you know, I don't know, you know, I can only imagine the band meeting that those guys <laughs> would have had. You know, Amy, Adam featuring Amy, they get together, they're all in the room at the same time. It's like, hey... Let's cover zombie. I'm, you know, yep. I'm really conscious of 
the, the situation that's happening in Northern Ireland. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really conscious about the fact that people are dying. I'm really conscious about the fact that, you know, we need to get the message out there to try and stop this, to try and stop domestic terrorism, to try and, you know, do what we can to try and stop the troubles and get people together. Amy, can you, you know, we're going to have this in a car wash. Everyone's like, yep, sounds great. Mm-hmm. Amy, if you can masturbate in the front seat, you, Rodney, get in the boot. You're going to jump out of the, ah, jump out of the boot, do that. You're just going to be in the back seat playing the guitar and, you know, I'll put the face makeup on. I'll, I'll stick my tongue out a lot. Everyone's like, yep. Mm, I think, I think, I, I think, I think, you know, that's, <laughs> I imagined how it went down and Tom, and I think that's, you know, it's a really positive thing that they've done here. And then DJ um, Semi walked in and said, am I too late to be in on this? Absolutely. Like, yep, Sorry. Completely agree. We were already full. The car's full, mate. The car, you yeah, no one, can get, earlier, the, no one like, can get in the car. Look, the cover is always better than the original, Tom. And, and I think this... In that case, know, I'm possibly prepared to really, I know that some of the previous songs we talked about were sort of dispelled that rumour, but I think in this case, it's definitely <laughs> do true. You, do you actually like this song? Um, the Adam featuring Amy, yeah, it's fantastic. It's very, very good. <laughs> How about the original? It's, it's also fine, but I think the cover is better than the original. Sure, I need um, to listen to it because I think I have heard that cover enough times to last me forever. Honestly, <laughs> I, yeah, I wasn't that big on it in the original, but yeah. Hey, look, look and that's I my just personal preference. Definitely. I should also point out that this song has been covered um, a few times. I think it, it, this is one of those songs, I know that artists talk about this, that once it's out there in, in the ether, once mm. it's out there in the world, you can't really, you can't stop people from covering your songs. And obviously, you know, the Cranberries did a song which was okay. Adam featuring Amy took it to a new level, yep. stepped it up and said, look, let's bring attention to these issues. And they really did. But um, Swedish pop sensation Mahombi okay. also covered this song. Now, a lot of people in Australia don't know Mahombi. I, I used to live in Europe for a few years, Tom. And when I was living there, Mahombi was, uh, he was, he was up and coming. He's from Sweden. Okay. Um, I, think, I think his parents were born uh, in Africa. I'm not exactly sure where, uh, which country to be precise. But um, moved to Sweden. Mahombi grew up in Sweden. Uh, and he decided to cover this song. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the original, as we mentioned, is about the troubles, about people, you know, dying in conflict to do with domestic terrorism, about a united island. Uh, but Mohambi decided to cover this and sort of changed the lyrics a little bit so that uh, instead of it saying, um, you know, zombie in the chorus, mm-hmm. it says Mohambi uh, in the chorus. So he's changed the song Clever. to be, he's changed it to actually be about a chick who just can't, get him out of her head you know he's such a, he's such yep. a great guy he's just like ah i can't stop thinking about mahombi and i think he was almost probably forced to do this song because mahombi rhymes with zombie mm. so i think that he not sort a lot of, of things do not, not not nothing rhymes with zombie so i think that mahombi sort of thought my name rhymes with zombie yep. i'm i'm a, i effectively have to cover this song and change Mahombi mm. to Zombie. It zombie really to Mahombi. So it does, absolutely. So look, he did that. And he was Fantastic. in the IRA. He was in the IRA, so, definitely. So he also brought attention to that. So <laughs> power to Mahombi for taking the original song and as we said, Adam for featuring Amy, they they really elevated the meaning of the song <laughs> from a lyrical point of view. But Mahombi's flipped that on its head and just said, I'm just going to talk about 
um, me, me, so yeah, yes. me banging chicks. So it was fantastic. <laughs> um, I've talked oh. way too much about this time. Have you got anything else to mention? Not about that, really. I think everyone knows the lyrics. Mm. The only the only thing I found weird about it is that that last bit of the chorus that. She keeps coming back to it. It's the same old theme since 1916. In your head, in your head, they're still fighting with their tanks and their bombs and their bombs and their guns. In your head, in your head, they're dying. I'm still not sure what the whole in your head thing is about. No. I mean, I get that you're trying to convey that both sides of the conflict are zombies, you know, yep. like mechanical people going a bit. But I still, like, surely the whole point of the song is that people are dying in real life, yep. not just in your head, but... You know, is, never it the, mind. is it the it's soldiers? They're, they're, they've got their own mentality yes, about what this yes, is about. Yes, but she so. keeps emphasising the tanks and the bombs and stuff. Like, then, yeah. Anyway, it's just it's just a little bit confused, but that's okay. Oh, it look, I think it is confusing, done. but I think it's smoothed out in the cover <laughs> where we really it's just sort of a car wash sort of. Yes, it's just, it's just people think, people in a car wash mm, having a bit of fun, flicking the bean in a car, flicking wash the really, bean in the car wash. Really takes the while some dude jumps out of a boot and goes ah, and then someone's in the back seat playing. I think that's what the song's really about. So I think Adam featuring Amy is that's why it's the definitive version, I think, because they sort of strip away all the uncertainties and just go, <laughs> it's just a bit of fun in the car wash, um, while also bringing attention to the seriousness of the matter. Sure. So that's the last song for the year, that Tom. It brings us up to the end of the it year. It does, it does. Um, look, a lot of songs. Do we? Should we have a quick look at... Yeah. So songs that hit number two, uh, there's a lot of good ones this year. <sighs> Shoop. By Salt and Pepper. That's an excellent song. Love that. Asshole by Dennis Leary. Not so good. Didn't realise that <laughs> that made it to number two. There's also Water Man by Salt and Pepper on Vogue. Those two, they're both great. So Australia great. loved Salt and Pepper. And I don't did. blame them one no, bit. Those look, two are Can't they, be mad at that. Those they're two songs song. are better than almost everything in that entire year that we just covered. Oh, Shoop and Water Man are fantastic. Mm. Um, Slave to the Music by 24-7. <laughs> More no? Eurodance. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. Um, said I Loved You But I Lied by Michael Bolton also known as Used You For A Root Sucked In but uh, yep terrible um, Right In The Night Fall In Love With The Music More by Jam Spoon uh, yeah fantastic we've got 100% Pure Love by Crystal Waters very catchy uh, and then we've got Endless Love by Mariah Carey and Luther Vandross mm. so she jumped in on board on that cover uh Always by Bon Jovi. All I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey. So that's pretty good. And then songs that sort of peaked a little bit lower down. We've got a few other ones. A couple uh, of those. That are... Swamp Thing by The Grid. That's an early Aussie EDM classic. That got in with the banjo sample years before Cotton Eye Joe did. I'm saying they were ahead of their time. <laughs> did, did, are you going to say they invented the, uh, the, the, the redneck... Techno banjo, yes. Techno banjo. I, Good, good. Okay, we can talk uh, about that. There's also, I still can't quite believe this, Closer by Nine Inch Nails got to number three. Yeah, I know, I know. It's crazy. I mean, had, did people not see the video? Have yeah, you seen the video? I have, that? yeah. It has a monkey tied to a crucifix yeah. in it. My mum was not impressed. Difficult to believe. Video. Difficult to believe that that uh, sort and of And that's not that. even getting to the chorus. Absolutely. That, that video is great. That is a steampunk kink masterpiece. It's just, it's still, it still looks great. It looks For like sure. the intro to a David Fincher movie or something. It's, no, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I think it's, yeah, it's a really good song. And uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised, yeah, that it made, um, I just assumed it's it was crazy. some sort of like, you know. On uh, the alternative charts or whatever yeah, I can yeah, see, but on the freaking ARIA charts, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Spin the Black Circle by 
Pearl Jam, also number three. Oh, yeah. And then some of the other hits are Streets of Philadelphia, Bruce Springsteen, oh, yeah. Dupe by Dupe, oh, which yep. we'll get a chance to talk about in a few weeks for other reasons. Around the World, East 17, uh, M People, oh, Moving yeah. On Up, uh, One Live by Metallica. That's weird. They must have re-released that. As a yeah, movie. absolutely. And South End with Nick Fish. <laughs> Come out and play by the Offspring. I remember loving that intensely. Absolutely. Sure uh, and look, I, I just want to call out a real quick oh, sure. um, forgotten hit. And that, well, not forgotten hit, but just sort of uh, from yesteryear. New uh, NKOTB Dirty <laughs> Dog Tom. If, if people people might not remember, but New Kids on the Block repositioned themselves as a hardcore hip hop act, and they changed it to NKOTB, and they released a song called Dirty Dog. And if you're a big hip hop fan, jump on board with this because it's up there with the very best of them, I would say. So. Uh, uh, is that, is that a fair did, assessment? Did people buy their new positioning, do you think? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure whether New Kids on the Block's um, hardcore hip-hop period is, is well-respected. Do people sort of look at that think, and appreciate uh, that? Do you think the members of NWA felt threatened by the imminent encroaching of the gangster I think they probably you know, did, yeah, exactly. You know... I think NWA had probably split at this stage based <laughs> off the back that they couldn't compete with NKOTB. NKOTB, sorry. So. Or yeah. knob, as I still persist in seeing them. I don't know if I've got dyslexia, but every single time I see that written down, it just says knob, just says which knob. is increasingly we'll appropriate. Now on, exactly, so yeah. it's good. All right, thank you for listening. Um, enjoy listening to the uh, playlist that we'll put down. And um, Yes. Yeah, it's all... Kinds of hits on there. Thank you. See you later.